And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday. Is today the 6th of October? Today's the 6th of October. Can you believe it already? Yeah. What are you doing New Year's Eve? I don't know. Probably working some game somewhere. You want to go out? Huh? You and me? You want to go out? Uh, you and no, me? I think I'd probably find some better things to do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome aboard for another edition of The Batter Round. And uh, let's fire off the guests first. Jim Henneman joins us at 1020 to talk about his assessment of the Orioles' uh, dedication to reorganizing their baseball operations, something that a lot of folks think is pretty much necessary after going 47 and 115, and in the past two years, going like 100 and 188, I think, over the past two years. Jim Henneman joins us about 1020. Then Josh Charles, who just happens to be my nephew, and a mega star in the, the world of acting. Uh, he will join us about 10.45 to give his thoughts on what has been just a hellacious summer, uh, talk about um, some some acting stuff and, and what, what he was here in Baltimore for, and then talk a little bit about his beloved Ravens. But well. wasn't isn't this the twentieth anniversary of Sports and that's Night? Right, that was the that was the, actually the hook. Uh, yeah. Glenn Clark mentioned it to me. Yeah. Josh was on that show for its two seasons. I and, think and two seasons, it? and it was absolutely one of the best shows on television at the time. Yep. And uh, I'm always aggravated with him for not introducing me to Felicity Huffman. But yeah. anyway. Well, she's got a guy that looks just, just like, like me. I'm sure. Lot, well, you know, makes a lot more money. <laughs> I, well, that that's true. But, you know, everybody says, you know, you got to double somewhere. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You're Doppler gang. Right. Uh, we are, we're, we're debating between trying to rouse up Bill Latson of MLB.com at about 11.05. But we'd actually have room for both of them. We could fit Bill sure, Latson in sure. and then play your interview with Ryan Zimmerman from just the day before the season ended that we couldn't get to last week. And then we close out with, ironically, we close out with one of the great starters of all time in Oriole history or baseball history, Jim Palmer. I want to ask him too when we get when we get cake. what you can do to look no, better. I, I want to. Well, you know, we should all look that good. At uh, how old is Jimmy now? A little Jimmy's over, over seventy. 70 yeah. he's seventy-two. Uh, yeah, we should all hope to look that good. But I, I'd like to get Jimmy's take on what he would feel like nowadays if he was pitching. And would he be like, would he like or enjoy being called the opener? <laughs> right. Well, he was one of the great openers and closers back in those days. Yeah, you, you didn't pitch 340, 350 innings without, without being opening. able to go the distance. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, Jim Palmer, excited to have him on to talk about what he uh, thinks the Orioles' direction should be. So, so, first things first, you said just as we were, the music was playing, you said it's really funny on Facebook, you get these things from two or three years ago reminding you of an anniversary. Right. And yours were all pictures of what? Well, like uh, last year or last last week i got one where buck is on in in front of the cameras right on the podium uh getting set for a press conference before one of the playoff games uh today Gio gonzalez popped up on my uh facebook page uh you know obviously from either last year or the year before 
Uh, so you got all memories all of memories playoffs. Of playoffs, and, and uh, no we, playoffs. Don't, we have no playoffs yeah, this year. Yeah. Uh, before we uh, get into talking about the early early stages of these, uh, what are the what's the first round called? The division? league, the league, league division, division series. series, right? Um, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But before we get Henneman on, let you and I bat around. You you proved to be exactly right when saying, well, if they're going to get rid of Buck, they need to get rid of Dan Duquette. Mm-hmm. I was maintaining that Buck was gone, but that I thought that Duquette was going to survive but have a boss. And now both of them in one foul swoop on Wednesday were let go by the ball club. Well, I, and I think because a lot of it had to do with the feeling was Buck would probably be gone with the way the season ended up and that Duquette would be the one that stays because he was the one that orchestrated the deals uh, at the at the trade deadline, uh, you know, to basically clean house, get rid of Scope, get rid of Manny. You know, Gosman, Brock, they're gone. Uh, O'Day is gone. Uh, and and the, the plethora of players they got back, the prospects they got back for him or for those players, it, it appeared that Dan was going to survive that because if you're looking at it from the outside in, you'd say, well, why, 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 why would wouldn't you, you keep right. him or why would you let him make those moves if he wasn't the one overseeing right overseeing the rebuild later on? And as it turns out, there were contracts end at the end of this month, mm-hmm. and uh, the organization decided to, to clean house uh, all the way around. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on, on both moves? Uh, I... Something obviously has to be done. If yeah. for no other reason, you lo- you lose 115 games. But from my point of view, I've always said that Buck Showalter is pretty good in, in these situations, working with young young people. And I don't know whether or not it's one of those situations where Buck doesn't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of that. Uh, but uh, again. When, when you're losing 115, it basically makes more sense to clean house. But if you were going to keep one or the other, I think Buck is a perfect guy to kind of lead that charge back. Uh, well, the club opted to go in the opposite direction. Are you, you know, I'm amazed at how many people, it's almost like the position of vice president of baseball operations or president of baseball operations isn't really important. Everybody's asking me, so who's going to replace Buck? Yeah. And I'm saying... It's totally inappropriate to answer that question until we know who the guy well, and that's is, the whole or thing. woman is in charge. That's the whole thing. you got to hire your GM first yeah. who's going to make that decision, and then you can go from there. Then you right. can speculate. Uh, but you, I think there's now six managerial openings now with everybody that's either been fired or let go. Minnesota, Angels, Cincinnati, Texas, Orioles, and we're leaving one team out. Um can't think of who it is. Minnesota. Minnesota, because yeah, Paul yeah. Molitor just yeah. got canned at yeah. the end of the year. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of speculation in Cincinnati that John Farrell could get that job, and I'm not so sure I agree with that because I think they have the perfect guy right there in place in Jim Riggleman. You know, I thought mid-July, late July, I thought he was a lock to get that mm-hmm. job. The t- he, he had the misfortune – of almost being hired too soon in the season because it seemed like whatever message he was getting through, 
just ceased to exist. They were pretty bad the last six weeks of the season. Well, uh, so were the Phillies, you know. Yeah. But then Gabe Kapler, I mean, everybody's raving about him in the middle of the year. And at one time, they had the best record in baseball. Uh, the Phillies did in the middle of the summer. And then, I mean, they, they had an epic collapse from they were about 15 and 34. Their 15 last and 34, right. Absolutely. So, uh, you know. When you're looking and think about the amount of criticism that Kapler got when the season first started for some right, managerial bungles, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, who knows? Uh, I still think the Phillies are a real good team if they can get some pitching situations straightened out, uh, especially with their bullpen uh, and 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 not turn their closing spot over to a, a rookie and expected to kind of handle that kind of pressure. I think they can be a formidable lineup, and and they prove that during the course of the year. Uh, but to play consistent baseball, they got to do something with that bullpen. It's uh, an interesting oddity that you've got two managers in Farrell and Girardi, both up. You don't hear them for the other jobs. You hear them both up for the Cincinnati job, and both have won World Series. Right, and Girardi's already interviewed with the with the right. Reds for that. I don't know whether Farrell has. I would assume. Well, he's been there as yeah, an assistant uh, to the right, general exactly. manager. Right, exactly. I would assume he has because of that. Right, so. and I think Riggleman has also yes. uh, interviewed for the job. We'll see. I don't think Riggleman gets that job now. I think they. Well, he probably doesn't, but he probably goes back as bench coach. I would think I would if he think wants if to he do wants that. to do that. Yeah, and but, I think he'd be foolish at this point in his career not to go back to bench coaching. Well, that, that's possible, but at some point you have to. You, you have know, to Jim, Jim Riggleman. Jim Riggleman. I covered him as the manager yeah. of, the, of the of the Nationals, and if you are a guy with your salt, worth your salt, and you feel the way you're supposed to feel about yourself. You got to feel like Jim Riggleman's being jerked around a little bit. Yeah. He was jerked around in Washington, and uh, you know he latched on and then went back to Cincinnati. And well, if there's one thing you and I know something <laughs> about, it's being jerked around yeah, exactly. in our careers. Exactly. You know. All right, I know a lot of people are taking that. Oh, jerk, jerk. No, 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 no we're no, talking no. about, we're talking in, about your, yeah. in your career. It's not. It's not always the, what you, you know can, or who you know. It's yeah. what you know. It's who you know. Yeah, it's who you know. And uh, being in that <laughs> position uh, of power where you really have some authority. And I just think Riggleman just avoided it. Because midseason, I was hearing how much this Castellini, mm -hmm. the owner of the Reds, loved Riggleman. Mm -hmm. You know, and all of a sudden you, you have a dismal second half of your season uh, and he managed, what, 94% of the season, probably? Mm -hmm. uh, Price managed 18 games, I think. Oh, yeah. He, three yeah. and 15. Um, I, I frankly was shocked that they hired Brian Price. I was shocked that he stayed that long. So nothing will surprise me, but I think Girardi is the right guy for that team. Girardi would be, I think, the right guy with a lot of teams. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think Girardi could come here. And, I mean, obviously, anybody that comes here takes on a monumental task of, number one, trying to put a bullpen and a, and a pitching staff together, starting staff together, that can compete and pitch on uh, let's, a competitive basis, yep. let's put it that way. Keep you in ball to games. Keep you in ball games, give you a chance to win games. Uh, and now you're dealing with a bunch of position players who, you know, who knows if Adam Jones comes back, that's all water down the road for another right. time until after the World Series. But, I mean, this is going to be a real young team with some decent pieces, I think. Uh, but it's what you surround those pieces with.
Uh, we're talking uh, on the batter round right now about the Orioles situation, uh, having let go of, um, and, and, you know, neither one of them technically were fired. Their contracts end uh, October 31st. Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette not being brought back, and the club announcing uh, through Greg Bader and communications that they're to totally reorganizing the baseball operation. Here's my question. We ended up getting off in the managerial tangent. Orioles, do they hire a guy? Do they set up their front office, which is how I think they will, like a Dave Dombrowski type at the top who's president who of hire, baseball, who, who hires, hires a, GM, a GM but answers to Dave and then, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the And then the Dave way answers to ownership. Right, it streamlines yeah. the whole thing. Right. You know, I think what, what the failure of the Orioles was, I think Buck Showalter was a good manager. I think Dan Duquette was a good uh, general manager. And I think you have Peter, who had the right to do whatever he wants when you own the ball club. And I think you had these three streams of thinking going into trying to create something. And I've maintained... Just knowing Dan the way I do and watching the signings that he did, he was not in favor of O'Day at $32 million. He wasn't in favor of Davis at $161 million. And he wasn't in favor of Trumbo at $39 million. Right. And I think those are two ownership. And I think uh, Buck really went to bat for O'Day and told Peter how important this guy was. And I think it's tough to judge Duquette. On, because I don't think all the decisions were his decisions. Right, and if you think back to it, the Nationals offered O'Day three years. Right. And uh, when the fourth year was offered by the Orioles, they That's didn't want to let him go. That's what got that deal done. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. But I think a streamlining, I think you're going to find that John and Lewis, while both have their own thoughts on things, I think they're collectively coming up with a game plan and I think that blueprint is going to include a director of baseball operations, somebody older and experienced, you know, like a – I've heard now the name Doug Melvin thrown in. Mm-hmm. I've heard John Barr thrown in. Um, of course, those are Henneman names. And then you read John Mioli, and Mioli has all the younger guys, right. you know, because th- those two guys are 47 years apart, well, Henneman if you, and but, Mioli. But if you think about it, Mioli's column makes a lot of sense from the standpoint of – in this day of analytics mm-hmm. and trying to do things a little bit cheaper than in, done in the past, right? Uh, that would make sense. The other thing about this, too, is for me, and in losing Buck, is that the, the one thing about Buck in this city, and you all, you've, you've heard people say this since, you know, he, since he's been let go, and right. now also leading up to this point over the last couple of years, well, when, when we speculated how much longer do you think he wants to manage, that kind of thing, and, and you've heard this phrase a lot, Buck really did get Baltimore. Yeah. You know, and, and I think Baltimore got, did, bu- got, got, got Buck, Buck yeah. right, yeah, <clears throat> because of he, he understands what a blue-collar town this is, he understands that... People take their lunch pail out to work every day. He understood how much uh, they hated uh, the Yankees and Red Sox. Right, exactly. And as Buck would say, yeah, I I get it. (laughs) And and he did. And I think that was one of the big driving forces as to why he was so popular in this city. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. Look, the second longest tenured manager in the history of the ball club, nothing that transpired in the last year and two-thirds 
as diminished what Buck Showalter was and meant to me uh, here in Baltimore. Yeah, I, no question about it. But I can also guarantee you, yeah. I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying this. Everybody says, well, you know, where Buck ever was ever at, you know, the next year after he's gone, mm-hmm. somebody's in the playoffs or somebody's mm-hmm. going to the World Series. <laughs> that ain't happening next year. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good observation. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's always the guy that set the team up for somebody else to come in and In succeed. this day and age of analytics, that's one analytical thing I can make. Is hey, before we get to uh, Jimmy Henneman, yeah. uh, let's talk for a moment about uh, the early, this divisional round of the playoffs. Houston and, uh, Houston and Cleveland started mm-hmm. yesterday, no surprise, Houston wins game one. But a little bit of surprise how Corey Kluber was banged around. Banged around, four home runs on the day by the Astros, and they got just enough out of Justin Verlander. He gave up the two runs in the sixth inning, but he gets into the sixth inning, five and a third. Uh, he strikes out seven, so that's the kind of a start in the postseason in a game one that you'd expect out of Verlander. But, yeah, Corey Kluber didn't have his best stuff. It'll be interesting to see how the Indians bounce back today. All right. Uh, sticking with the American League, they opened last night, and you turn around in two innings, it's 5 nothing Boston. Four of the runs driven in by J.D. Martinez, who, in my opinion, is the MVP uh, of the league. He may not have had a better season than Mookie Betts, but I don't think Mookie Betts has the season he had without J.D. Martinez in yeah, that but, lineup. but the difference with Mookie is the fact that you see the defense, defense and yeah, a perfect I mean, example of that last play, night yeah. to getting that double play on the fly ball, hit down the right field line. He almost got the double play. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah almost but, got the but double But really play. close. Right. Exactly. He, he and spun around, and the base runner was pretty shocked. And, and he's played that right field probably as well as anybody. Yeah. Anyway, and that's one of the reasons why you saw Adam Jones play left field when the Orioles were up there the last weekend right. of the year. Or, you know, it's or, a very difficult it's a, right it's, field. It's a difficult, because that right field is probably bigger than center field. Yeah. Uh, and then Chris Sale, uh, they got Chris, what they – look, the Red Sox were we as no longer, We can no longer say that the Red Sox don't have a starting pitcher on that staff that's won a postseason game. That's correct. That's Chris Sale's first ever uh, playoff victory. I'll qualify as a starter. I don't mm-hmm. think he's won any no, game. No. But Porcello, Porcello and him and Price had never won a game as a starter. That bullpen, though – is as leaky it's a sieve it's a sieve sieve and craig kimbrell and i go back to my days of watching him in atlanta for so many years he is nothing he's not automatic he can be had you got to make him throw strikes but if if you can make and work the count against kimbrell you have a chance to do some damage uh when he comes in to try to close games out and again he gave up the home run last night so right there is a perfect example of what i'm talking about i predict if they have a lead again and it's the sixth inning on, the guy you're going to see coming out of that bullpen is Stephen Wright. Eh, it could be, but I don't think he, you know, you're not, you're not going to bring him in in the eighth or ninth inning to close out. <laughs> I could see him pitching into the eighth. I think he's, I think he's pretty good. Uh, National League real quick because we're getting Henny on. Uh, Milwaukee's taking a two-zip commanding lead. It's sad to see. Jonathan Scope, he's sort of meaningless there. He is kind of meaningless, but he's gonna hit. He's gonna play against left-handers. That's right. I mean, that's what they've been doing with him. He's coming in uh, for defensive replacement late in the game and and as a pinch hitter. And uh, I think Craig Council's, you know. Been pretty good about that, right? Uh, and uh, but, but Scope, he's going to get his time, and uh, 
he, he struck out in a big situation yesterday, uh, you know, when they had a chance to tack on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, a little bit sad, but then Manny Machado last night for the Dodgers, he winds up hitting the home run, drives in two, and uh, gets the Dodgers off and running, and they, they're up 2 nothing. And, and against the look to be in total command, total command, series. but against a Braves team that hasn't hit in the first two games of the seri- series, yeah. 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 Uh, we're joined by the uh, the great Jim Henneman, a longtime writer here in Baltimore, who's covered the Orioles, written about the Orioles, also an official score for MLB at Oriole games. Jim Henneman, and also writes for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Jim Henneman joins us. Jim, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm almost awake. How you guys doing? I'm great. I'm just happy. And we're almost awake. I'm just Tracy, happy. You're never almost awake. I'm just happy we got the right phone number this time. You, you I, only got one left, right? Uh, that's it. I only <laughs> got one on the board. Don't Jim, pass uh, it out. Jim, um, uh, your take on uh, it was very interesting to me. It seems like the Dodgers, for years now, it's all about Clayton Kershaw. And I thought that Dave Roberts did a very interesting thing, both strategically and motivationally, by starting Rayu in Game One and starting Kershaw in Game Two. Your thoughts? Well, I'm I'm not so much uh, I was so much curious about that as I was about what the Braves decided to do. I, I, that really baffled me, and and I kind of wonder if that didn't just play into into Robert's hands, to be all honest with you. They're, they're, I mean, Atlanta had all this time to get ready. They knew what they were going to be doing. They could set their rotation up any way they wanted to. And I know that their rotation is not the deepest part of their 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 team. But to say, okay, we're going to start this with a bullpen game, and uh, maybe Roberts would say, well, that being the case, then why don't we just use Kershaw in the second game and we'll take our chances against the bullpen in the first game. And go from there. I, I did not understand that at all. I don't. I, that that makes no sense to me. Uh, I, I mean, I know that you know that's the that's the sexy thing to do now. This uh, this bullpen stuff, but to me, it's no different than using a a, a, a fifth four starter man yes. rotation yeah. in a fi- in a four men in a five day rotation. They're they're, just, they're no longer starters, Jimmy. They're openers. Well, yeah, <laughs> that could be whatever they want. Let me tell you something. If those guys are going to pitch in Houston, and the guys are going to pitch in Cleveland. They're not. They're not openers. They're you know they're you they're, they're pitchers. Right. I'm sorry, but they, you know, basically, and, and you know what? In a lot of ways, I look at the I look at the Boston game too. I said, you know, Boston turned the game over to. I mean, I don't want it to mean anybody's pitching in the big leagues. They're they're good players, right? But they got a five to nothing lead, and uh, and basically turned the game over to the underbelly of their pitching staff. Right. So, right. Well, we we got our best starter, and and, and we'll save our other guys from in. And, and then they'll, everybody will talking about where they got the job done. Well, it was five to nothing when they made the move, and it was five to four when the game ended. So you tell me how that you tell me how that worked out. Yeah, and, and, I, I don't and, get it. And and I don't agree with the fact that well they got their job done. Plus the fact, Sale, you know, his pitch count wasn't terrible, but. He was dealing too. It's not like they were getting anything to hit off of him. I agree. With that. And listen, and you can take that a step further. Uh, uh, Mr. Verlander was not too happy about coming out of that game. Oh, you know it. You know it. Yeah. Well, I mean, all you had to do was take one look at that. He was not a happy camper. I don't blame him. And and they they were doing the same thing. They were, they were you know, they were stepping into what is a, a weaker part of their team, and you know, they they better be a little cautious about that kind of stuff. But so, so hey, 
It's the third time around, big boy. We don't care how good you are. You're coming out. Right. So, so getting back to Kershaw for a second, again, my notion that I think he took it as a little motivation that he was not viewed as the man. And I think well, it I think it had the two-pronged effect of taking pressure off of him and motivating him a little bit. Well, you know, that might be true. but And, you know, we're all well aware of the fact that he hasn't, you know, obviously the, the Dodgers haven't had. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. They've had great success in games they started, but, you know, going back and forth with those games last night, I mean, one of the things that hit me was 10 of his postseason starts is he allowed two runs or less. So, evidently, he hasn't exactly gotten uh, gotten lit up in the postseason. So, I don't know. I You know, if you have to motivate the guy, you know, I, I, I find that. I mean, the other thing that I thought was, didn't it also keep him on on his regular day? Yeah, yeah. It well, did. That well, was part of on his regular day, that makes more sense to me. Well, than that's but that's part of what I'm saying. They've always centered the uh, boy. We got to start. I, it seemed like every time I turned around, he was starting on three or three days rest in the playoffs. Well, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I don't think that they do it all the time, but they do it. Trust me, if, if push comes to shove and, and it gets to game five and, and they need somebody that needs to be on three days rest, he's going to pitch. We're talking with Jim Henneman. Jim, uh, Craig and I, just before we reached you, we, we, you know, all the Oriole players that have, were traded at the deadline that are part of playoff pushes are all doing well except one player. And we found it uh, curious uh, that Jonathan Scope has become sort of a second-tier guy in Milwaukee, not important to what they're doing at all right now. Actually, the more that I, the more, I mean, he had a hard time getting in the lineup. Uh, I mean, and listen, the crazy thing there is, you know, we were trying to dissect that from a distance. Yep. And that, and I said at the time, you know, I think like he and Manny are like two different guys. I mean, they're like best buddies, but they're different personalities. And I, I, I just don't think that he, that Jonathan was as is geared to accept uh, that kind of a situation as, as Manny was. I mean, Manny's, you know, Manny's prime for the, for the spotlight. I don't think scope is, but beyond that, when, you know, the more, I mean, at the time the trade was made, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it, except I knew they were looking for a middle infielder, but when you stop and think about it, you say, well, why didn't they really were looking for a shortstop? And, because they had moved, I mean, they had, they moved a guy to, to second base when when they signed Mustakas. They moved uh, Travis Shaw. Shaw's yeah, got 30, he's got thirty one home runs. Yeah, right. right. I mean, so what? I mean, I didn't even really, the more I looked at that deal, I'm thinking. And then they tried to play scope at shortstop. So I'm I'm looking at that deal and saying, well, why didn't they just play the guy they traded to us at shortstop and? Yeah, and, and yeah. Stay, you know, stay with what they had, and not trade all those guys. Yeah, I mean, they'd have been they. To me, they'd they'd be a better team with with Liar playing shortstop and Shaw playing second, and Mustak is playing first, and than they are with Scope because right. I got no place to play Scope. I got to ask you a Scope question. Uh, he's a an arbitration guy this year, isn't he? Doesn't he look right now to be a non tender? I mean that that was part of the thing you heard the last week of the season. They said they're not even sure that he would, you know that he'll get tendered, and yep. if that's the case. And, you know, for all the brilliant moves that they've made over the last couple of years, that's pretty stupid. Yeah. I mean, that, that really doesn't <laughs> make any sense. I mean, I mean, if they, they just traded for the guy, uh, yep. uh, you know, who, who knows? I mean, I, 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 you know, that's way, way beyond my pay grade. I can't figure well, all that game out. Well, game three of that series is going to be very interesting tomorrow 
because Wade Miley gets the start for the Brewers in that series. Right. Now, granted, if you're going to start Wade Miley, you'd rather be up 2-0 than down 2-0. <laughs> well, well, that's true, but, you know, the bottom line is, I mean, you say what you want, but, you know, he had a big, you know, I mean, he was going to be in their regular rotation. Yeah, he and, and he had actually had a terrific, pretty good. 5-2 five and, five and two with a two five seven ERA. Yeah. Listen, hey, listen and, had he not, and he, had he not gotten hurt this year, who knows what he might have wound up as. Hey, as openers go, he's probably as good as he's probably as good as these <laughs> other guys that are going out there doing stuff. So he could be an opener. I'll tell you, I always said about Miley, for, for what we may have thought of him as a pitcher, you had Jerry DePoto traded for him, Ben Charrington traded for him, Dan Duquette traded for him, and now they signed him, David Stern signed him as a free agent. Some smart baseball people think there's something there. Well, it's, and be, because well, and the main thing that's there is the fact that, you know, he can eat innings when he's right. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is he also throws 100 pitches by the fifth inning because of all the nibbling either right. side of the plate so well you you can go back a step further on all those trades those things and you, you you can start and i forget which way it was but but most of those trades were made after somebody also gave him a big contract so you got to throw that guy into the mix too so somebody gave him a much bigger contract yeah. than he yeah. probably should and have it was had, seattle but. gave him the i mean seattle picked up the big contract from boston you're That's absolutely right it was right. boston yeah. it was boston yeah. gave yeah. the contract yeah. yeah and and traded for him with depoto and then depoto yeah. Ended up out in Seattle, and he's the one that got him in Seattle. So well, he really, well, he really liked... been, and he's been a keep in a couple places. Well, he, you know. Hey Jim, hey. I've got regards to you on the Facebook Live, which you don't have in front of you. Jim Walker says hello to Jim Henneman from an old friend who is in Houston now. Yeah, um, he, yes, he is. Uh, Jim, he is. Uh, he is an old. Well, I don't like to say it that way, but he's a, <laughs> he's a he's a friend of a, of long standing. Let's I like that. that. Hey, um, let's quickly talk about the Boston Yankee series, um, and time permitting, we'll, we'll get back to Cleveland and Houston, but I do want to spend a couple of minutes on the Orioles as well with you. But the Yankee series, that uh, bullpen by Boston, um, Dave Dombrowski considered one of the best executives in baseball. He had problems with his bullpen in Detroit, and darn it, doesn't it seem like he's got some problems with his bullpen in Boston? Well, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not. Uh, some of those guys are uh, are still a little foreign to me. Like I said, the two of these guys were not even on the uh, were not on the roster when they started. Yeah, Brazier. Uh, I mean, I always liked Barnes a little bit. I, right. You know, and, and you know, um, look, I'm not a I'm not a fan of 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 a lot of the a lot of the analytics stuff, as as I think everybody knows, but. Uh, you you can't ignore it. You 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 have to bend. You have to you have to go sometimes where those numbers take you. But I just I think sometimes we're we're more in the we're more in the, in the profit thing than we are in the uh, in the predictability thing. I mean, sometimes I think it's like okay, well let's do this because this might happen. Uh, so so I don't know. I you, yeah. you know with I, I mean you say with Detroit they had a they had a problem in the in the bullpen. I. I guess they did. I, I'm not even going back that far now. But uh, obviously, their bullpen is not as strong as the Yankee bullpen. No. But uh, and, you know, and, and it, listen. That, that, let's go back to for one thing. Feisty, Feisty, although there's one thing. The one thing you, you gotta love is that if it's Yankees in a Boston, and they played a typical Yankee Boston game, they just about made four hours. 
and, uh, <laughs> you know, which, which is no kind question. of par for the course. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. You go back to the first inning in that game, and the and the walk to Steve Pierce ended up being the biggest, be the biggest play of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, now they got no place to put Martinez, and uh, uh, and 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 that was a great at bat with him. I'm, you know, I'm, I, sometimes I hate that term, but you know, sometimes guys get too much credit for great at bats. And uh, Jimmy, who who in your estimation is uh, MVP in the American League? Is it Betts well, or Martinez? Uh, Moogie Betts. I, I mean, I have. To, I mean, it would be. You know, if I was just going to go, if if you were going to say the offensive player of the year, you know, I, I would go. With, I would go with Martinez, but I, I just can't. And it has nothing to do with him being the DH. It's just yeah. I just can't overlook the fact that the other guy. Let me tell you something. For all for all you hear, and I love Mike Trout. Don't yeah. get me wrong; he's he's a great great player. But you know, we have kind of anointed him the best player in the game like seven years ago, and we just take that automatically. This guy is playing in Boston is pretty damn good. Oh yeah, and. And I, he's in that discussion. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's leading off, and he could be the number four hitter, the number three hitter, the number five hitter, the number two hitter mm-hmm. on almost any other team in a game. I mean, it, you know, he wouldn't be leading off, that's for sure. Yeah. And he's a great outsider. A he's great a, outsider. A, absolutely. He's a great outsider. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jim, the um, getting back to the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox, uh, late in the year, Due to injury, Stephen Wright came back off of a second stay on the disabled list, and he'd also had a brief suspension at the beginning of the year. Um, Do you see him as a usable piece by manager Alex Cora in the bullpen? In the, the, you know, I mean, not as an opener, but as no, as a sixth inning, sixth inning to get in trouble. Yeah, but I mean, what's the thing that I'm going at is if you're going to use him in the bullpen. Well, I mean, if it's five to nothing, I mean they took they took Seattle out of the game. It was two on, and they took and Verlander came out of the game. The bases were loaded, mm-hmm. but you know he and Verlander was dealing too. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But but why not just go right to Porcello there? Right. They just didn't want to bring yeah. Porcello in, I guess, with men on base. Right, right. Uh, you know, like he's never pitched with men on base before. I, you know, I get it. I guess, but uh, you know why. <laughs> Why go if you if you get if you get a twelve man pitching staff and you're going to rank them one through twelve in their ability, you know, once you take your starter out, why do you, why do you start bringing in ten, eleven, or twelve instead of five, six, or seven? You know, is what I'm where I'm going with that one. But Jimmy, let me ask you this: with the Orioles and obviously everything that happened this past week, once the season ended uh, Sunday. And that's uh, obviously we everybody knows now that they're not bringing back Buck or or, or Dan. And uh, how long do you think this is going to take uh, to to get something and getting the ball rolling into where there's a general manager in place and the fact that then the general manager can hire his manager and, right. and that manager can. Can, can I just interrupt for one second, Jimmy? Sure. Do you see the structure being a Dombrowski type guy or almost like Minnesota where there's a Baseball operations guy at the head, then that hires a general manager. Do you think that's the way they're going? Well, that would that would be an interesting concept. Um, yeah. I I can actually see that that possibility, but I you know not really knowing what they're thinking. Yeah, I think you're going to be. I mean, if if that's the, I mean. I, let's put it this way: if they're going to bring in somebody to name the general manager. Mm-hmm. The person they're going to bring in is going to pick the manager. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no I mean, question that, about you know, it. There's no doubt about that. I, I don't, you know, in other words, whoever's coming in to run the whole operation, yeah, would run the whole operation, and and you know, there there's 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 some candidates out there that are, uh, but I I think that you're looking mostly at this point. I think you're looking at more of a uh, of a GM type guy. I mean, okay. uh, listen, the name when I was trying to put I put some names together that day, and I ended up coming up with with local guys with guys with local ties and and it didn't but but i've been told by some people that uh that mark shapiro might be ready to you know yeah to, to come back south of the border and if that's the case I mean, he's he's the kind of guy that jumps right at you mm-hmm. uh, no question he definitely about would be in the picture uh another, i mean doug melvin is going to get in the picture it's going to be looking but the the the, the guy billy owens is i, I told people they, they rave about billy owens they told me billy owens is a is a rising star in this thing, and he's and a I Billy. He's a Billy guy's name in Fed. He's a third round draft choice in New Orleans in '92 and played five years in the organization. So. And he's a Billy Bean guy right now. He he's, works a Billy, for the A's. He's, he's a Billy Bean guy right so, now. And I tell you what, there's plenty of guys. Hey, listen, there's a guy right down the street in Feisty knows who know him pretty well. I mean, Dan Jennings is a pretty good baseball. Yeah, player, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, I, uh, and and he's a guy. And I, and I can give you. I can tell you a few other guys. Uh, there's a, there's a, Tim Nering with the Yankees is a guy that you know I, to me uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit I was getting to meet him and, and be around him in Florida a little bit and there's a couple of guys like that there's a you know there's a long tree of guys that uh, that have crossed paths uh, and Dombrowski's part of that tree but I mean he goes back to to Murray Cook and uh, and Dombrowski and and and, uh, and they all I work mean, for a, they all work for guys that, yeah. yeah and so. You know who knows, and and I just hope that whoever it is uh, realizes that good, better, and different that they need to con- they need to to maintain some semblance of continuity here. Uh, I don't, you know, the the, the system kind of gets trashed for, especially on the pitching pitching in, uh, not being a developed pitching. But when you go back and look at the what they've gone through with their pitchers uh, in the system or different things and. Uh, hitting and stuff like that. It, the system is is really not all that bad, and there are some some quality people that you know that I think are there's not going to be any. In other words, I don't really see any point in going out and bringing in somebody uh, who's going to want to change everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Buck's been here eight years. They had a pretty good program in place here. Yeah, and the one thing about People talk about the Oriole way or the Dodger way, you know, and the whole bottom line is usually it ends up being the way of whoever it is that comes in and wants to change everything. Yeah. And uh, that happened here, and the very first hire that this or this ownership tried to make was with, with Phil Reagan, and that ended up being a, a total disaster. Total disaster, yeah. Part of which was because they had no spring training to work with. But, yeah. uh, you know, so, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit surprised that, uh, to you know, because I've talked to him a lot about it, uh, that, that that Mike Boarding seems to be as interested as he was. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd say somebody like that. But I don't rule out Gary Kendall. I don't rule out Johnson, Bobby Dickerson to a degree. Bobby, they, people in baseball tell me Bobby Dickerson is one of the great instructors around. But whether that translates to being a manager or not, I really don't know. But I, you know, I I think that those are people that. Uh, the organization prides itself in going out and getting players and saying, "Hey, if you do the job, we got a spot for you." Well, you know, there's other guys down there, uh, you know, managing six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. You know, they don't, they haven't shown up on the coaching staff. And that's one thing that, the one thing I was not crazy about with uh, 
you know, with, I mean, Buck came in and he got his whole, he got his team together. Uh, but none of the coaches really that were hired came out of the system here. And yeah. I, and I, I kind of questioned that a little bit. Uh, the one thing I loved, you know, in the regime when the team was really good, every coach came out of the system. When, when one coach left, somebody came yep. through the system. And uh, Great point. there's something to be said for that. So, Jimmy, let me um, let me ask you this. There was a column written by uh, Tom Lavero in the Washington Times this week uh, talking about his speculation as to whether or not the Orioles would be sold now that Buck and Dan are gone and, you know. Right. Payroll's uh, been Payroll's shared. been, yeah. So, uh, right. number one, do you think that'll happen? Number two, how much do you think the powers that be at Major League Baseball would like to see that happen? Oh, I'm <laughs> – well, I mean, it, you know, to answer the second question first, I mean, my guess is they probably would love to see that. But, yeah. the, only, but the only way that can happen, the only way that I can see that happening is that what they're really all concerned about has to be resolved. Yeah. And, yeah. and if one if one that's one resolved, all the other stuff uh, comes out of play. As far as the club being sold, I mean, you know, everything's for sale. I mean, uh, for the right price, I mean, I've always been that believer, but... There certainly doesn't appear to be any indication uh, that that that's that that's the case. Now I'm I'm not smart enough to know all the 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 the, uh, the, the, the consequences of uh, of ownership changing from within the family. I, I don't know anything about that. But my guess is, and I don't know the family that well. But I, my guess is is that John and Lewis were probably one of the big reasons why. Peter got, Peter got the, the team, team in the first yeah. place. Yeah, I think they're interested in the game, which is probably one of the reasons why their father bought the team. Jim, so, I'm not I'm not that much more expert than you, but I do know this. The problem they have is if Peter passes, it, it's not a problem state-wise for, her, for the club to go into the hands of Georgia. It's when Georgia would pass, that's when it's a whole different ballgame between the, the spouse and... And the children, that's where right. the rubber hits the road. So right. I don't really think that's an issue. I've I've talked to both of them, at uh, not at length about it, but I don't get any indication. Despite the fact the chopping of the payroll makes it look that way, I don't think that's the direction they're heading in. Well, I think that, that I mean, the chopping of the payroll is, is only because they went ahead and made it and traded, started to do the rebuild. I yeah. Mean, I mean... I mean that's just common sense, and and in a lesser degree that may have that may have influenced the decision on Buck. Although I would hate to think that uh, you, you know that, that that money would have been uh, would have been the issue if they felt that the guy. I mean I'm actually working on a piece for this for this one, thing, and I and I talked to to Luke Jackson about this yesterday. And here's here's my my take on the Buck situation. He was the right guy in the right place at the right time when he came here. And, and now he's the right guy in the right place at the wrong time. Yeah. yeah and uh, so, you know, there isn't much question in mind that, that to do what they need to do, they need a buck-type guy who can, yeah. he won't, he's definitely not going to be as much in control as Buck was. But no. that was, you know, that was the one good thing. All right. And the other thing we got to remember is that Buck was hired by McPhail, who was probably, I'm going to say, he, uh, Andy was only around another year, so they only worked together for like a year and a half. And you have to ask yourself, well, if Buck knew that Andy wasn't going to stay, would Buck have taken the job? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. All right. Uh, We're going to leave it at that. Jimmy Henneman, always a pleasure. 
Uh, we'll talk to you shortly, I'm sure. Okay, take care, guys. Thank have you. Have fun. a great weekend. All, All right. right. Jim Henneman. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game like tomorrow. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood. Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day, facebook.com slash Sports. All this month at Jerry's Chevrolet, get employee pricing on over 500 new Chevrolets and a variety of pre-owned cars and trucks. New Chevy Equinox. You pay what Jerry's employees pay, which means 20% off MSRP or lease for $169 a month. New Chevy Cruises, employee priced at 30% off MSRP. Plus, every new Chevy comes with Jerry's It's About You loyalty benefits, like free maintenance for four years. Visit Jerry's Chevrolet at the corner of Joppa Road and Paring Parkway and online at jerryschevrolet.com. Lease with approved credit. Sale ends October 31st. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app get points you're going to chick-fil-a anyway why not get free stuff for your efforts join chick-fil-a one online or through your app and while i've got your attention please remember chick-fil-a catering it's a real live crowd pleaser in fact order twice as much as you think you'll need trust me go see steve at chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard tell him i sent you if you need help downloading your app don't ask steve but he'll know someone who can help chick-fil-a one get food earn more free food respect It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army Reserve, it is a core value, a value that brings together a variety of people from across the nation to answer the call to serve. Serving part-time in the U.S. Army Reserve means earning the respect of your community and your nation, all while pursuing your career and educational goals and staying close to home. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $20,000 in bonuses when you join. To see if you qualify, visit GoArmy.com slash reserve or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Eck looks at Ravens superstar Terrell Suggs and how he still sizzles now in his 16th season in Baltimore. Plus, Simon Hathamarium introduces you to the newest Flacco on the Baltimore sports scene. That's Towson Tigers quarterback Tom Flacco. And Bo Smolka profiles new Ravens receiver John Brown. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition and the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, please like us and share us. It helps build up the audience. Hey, join up, team up for one, and help children with challenges by attending the 3rd Annual Sports Leadership Awards Bull and Oyster Roast on October 30th. The night will honor UMBC men's basketball coach Ryan Odom and raise money to help children with disabilities. For information and tickets to the Team Up for One Sports Leadership Awards at Valley Mansion, go to teamupforone.org. That's teamupforone.org. I think I'm going to that. I'm going to it. Well, because uh, nobody has more bull or lugs oysters anymore than I do. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Joining us right now is somebody I'm pretty close to. He's my nephew of long standing uh, actor and uh, father and husband and uh, really a good guy and somebody I'm proud to uh, call my nephew. Josh Charles joins us. Josh, how are you? How you doing, Uncle Stan? I'm doing okay. <laughs> It had to make me feel old. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Hey, before well, we... I'm old now, too, so yeah. I like to push it off yeah. on you. All right. Hey, before we get to talking sports, uh, what were you in Baltimore for this week? Tell our audience about that. Uh, I was here for the Baltimore homecoming event, um, which was, uh, I think, a huge success, uh, bringing back Baltimore natives, people who have any kind of connection to Baltimore, basically a big, giant reunion, um, getting them familiar with the city, um, just reconnecting them with the city and, and all the things that are happening here, the positive things that are happening. Um, Can I put you on the spot? Why weren't Craig Heist and I invited to that? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I think you I might guess they wanted some they, money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted talented people. I was going to say, hey, eventually the truth comes I'm out. I'm glad we weren't invited. <laughs> no, but go ahead. You said it was, You said it was a great success. It was. I, I think it was a very good success, and it was the first year. So you know, there it, it's it's uh, it's been done in other cities, and um, and I think the idea was like, why can't we do it here? Uh, yeah. It's a great way to bring people back, and also you know, uh, hopefully you know, get them excited about the city and, and, and raise a lot of money. That can go to great great organizations that are all here doing fantastic work. I mean, we all love our city, but we know you know our city has some problems, like any city, and and ours are very specific to this city. And, and this is a great way to to get everybody reconnected. As a I mean, guy, for me, I feel like I'm always still connected. So it's it's less of a homecoming for me, but but um, for others, maybe more so because they're not here as much. Um, but still, really enlightening and and, and a great few days. I'm really a, tired from, it, but it was great. As a guy who loves this city. Uh, how much and and loves the baseball team in this city and the football team. and the football team. and the basketball I love all, team, the, all the teams. Right? But but <laughs> what, what I'm saying though is, as a guy who who loves the baseball team, because uh, we see you from time to time at Camden Yards, uh, how much did this season hurt just watching it from afar, or either being here and maybe getting a chance to see a couple of games? Well, I mean, it, it hurt a great deal, obviously, because I, I also think it hurt more than anything. I mean, I don't know how you guys 
feel. I mean, maybe I know how Stan feels a little more because we talk about it, but I don't know how you feel about it, Greg. But, but, it, but, but it really, um, it, I think because of it, it was surprising too. You know, I didn't think, not only that I didn't know that we were winning the World Series this year, but I thought we were going to have a pretty competitive team with some of the pitching pitching additions we have made, and um, and so I was I was more surprised by it and just how quickly it, it happened. Um, but in a way, because they were so bad and so bad from so early on, um, it, it, you're almost able to detach yourself from it a little bit, at least for me living away. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. have to deal with it on a daily onslaught the way you guys have to. <laughs> but still, um, he's laughing know, sadistically at us. Faces, yes. Say what? I you, said you're laughing sadistically at us. We were out there all well, the time. Well, no, I mean, I'm laughing because I feel your guys' pain, but yeah. I just mean I. I was able to, I, I, I couldn't watch it after a while. I mean, I tried to, but it was just, it was like, um, it was like watching a pony die, yeah. you know, slowly. Uh, um, and a uh, really, really brutal, uh, brutal season. But, uh, but I don't know. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what, what, what comes next. I'm, I'm, I'm actually like anybody else, like any fan, just really excited to see, because um, we can't get any lower than that, I don't think. Not much lower. And I'm really sad to see Buck go, obviously, because he's he's just been a baseball hero of mine pre Orioles, mm-hmm. um, and you know can't say enough of what he did for this franchise in the time that he was here. Um, and I, I wish he was staying, but I but I also understand the other side of it that you know you have to make a clean slate here, and with a season like that, there has to be repercussions, and and, and everybody needs to start from scratch. Hopefully, the pieces we got from some of these trades, and I know you know. I know there's a lot of uh, yeah. varying opinions about that, but hopefully we've got enough quantity uh, that some of these guys, and we have enough money stored up in the sort of international market that maybe we can make a few more plays. We can start to build towards a start to build towards a nucleus of, um, of, of of making this team a winner again. I hope. Hey, Josh, I know you're not uh, an analytics guy, uh, profound analytics yes, guy. Well, but I mean. You, you also understand the heart a little bit. The yeah. reason you were you came in this week, this Baltimore homecoming, you saw that the Orioles in the midseason, they signed Brooks Robinson to some type of ceremonial contract mostly. Eddie Murray's yeah. may be a little bit more work in progress that he might help the team. Uh, your thoughts on Adam Jones and what he means to the city now or has meant and why it would not seem fitting to just jettison him for baseball purposes. We understand he's not the star he was, but he's still yeah. a more than serviceable player. How much does he mean to this town? I think he means a great deal. I mean, you know, um, you know, his consistency, his leadership, his personality. Um, you know this, Ann, but I, I, I had almost always, um, I'd always wanted to meet Adam, and I had never met him until a couple weeks ago. I came in town and went to a game, and, and and brought my son and got to meet Adam and he was just as just as advertised, um, just really funny, charming, super intelligent, uh, great baseball mind. Um, and I think that's a really good point. I mean, you know, I know it. I know you know it, it certainly sounded this way from what I've read, and I don't know anything on the inside, just from what I had read in the papers and hearing you guys talk about different things. That you know, given that he didn't agree to a trade and 
with Duquette maybe looking like he could stay, that perhaps, you know, this was just a foregone conclusion that Adam would be gone. And I, 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 I as you, as you verbalize that and saying like, well, why, why, why does that have to be so? I think it's a great question. I don't know. I agree. You know, you talk about like, first of all, I don't know what Adam wants to do. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, you know, but I would imagine he would like to stay here if he could, um, given that he, he, you know, um, he didn't allow for a trade. I, I, I think he's committed, but but maybe he's not. I don't really know, you know. Yeah. But I think if he is, then the point you're making is a very good one, which is, you know, we're not going to be that good for the next few years. Right? Yeah. Why not? Why not have him stay here? You know, if, if he's willing, I think I would I would welcome that. Um, but I'm not I'm not a baseball guy. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's reasons to not do that. I, I really don't know. Listen, but from if, a fan if, perspective, if, I think I would love it because. It would give us some consistency um, uh, 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 as, as we carry through to the next generation, you know. Yeah. And certainly, uh, in, in, barring a sort of turnaround, it doesn't seem like that's going to come from Chris Davis anytime soon. You know, it, all kidding aside, and I know you're being facetious there about Chris, but all kidding aside, Adam Jones, if if Austin Hayes or someone, DJ Stewart, were truly re- like, you know, busting at the seams at AAA. And boy, it's a foregone conclusion he's going to be next year's rookie of the year. There's nobody he's in the way of right now. So, yeah, I mean, so I, really I, talking I, I, about. I completely. You and I haven't talked about this, but you yeah. saying that is. Uh, I think I agree with you. I yeah. completely agree with you, and I, I don't see. I mean, it checks all the boxes to me. Yeah. You know, uh, fans. Um, I mean, obviously, fans are reeling right now. Uh, all of us. This is just an unbearable season, and now you know we've lost. Buck and Dan, and I, I would guess from a fan perspective, you know, um, and I don't mean this is any disrespect to Dan, but I, I just mean I, I think fans are probably more upset about Buck just because he's such a more visual oh, no leader. Question. No you know, question about it. You know, um, and, and, um, and, and I would put myself in that camp, um, you know, because, you know, he, he's just what, what he's meant to everybody, not only, you know, on the field, but also just, you know, for fans and get, helping us with our identity and getting back into winning baseball. And, um, and also, I just really appreciate the way in which he talks. I love his honesty, and I'm going to miss that, you know, and yeah. his straightforwardness and, and his intelligence. Um, and hopefully they'll find somebody, you know, good. But I, but I, I think... What you're saying, I I, I, don't, I, I, I couldn't agree with more. I mean, and, and I, I haven't really even thought about it that much, but as you're saying it, it makes total sense. And do you hear anything? Is that even a possibility, or is it a foregone conclusion well, that Adam's Well, it's interesting. Gone? we got a guy named Tom Dooney, Doomy, who uh, watches my uh, after-bird-watching show, and he's watching, and he says, since Dan is gone, do you think Jones has a better chance of re-signing? And I would answer that I think the door is more open than it was with Dan Duquette here. I think Dan was, no pun intended, all black and white about cost versus productivity plus standing in the way of the future and that kind of thing. I think there's a better chance that Adam Jones could but, resurface. But let me here. ask you this, though, Stan. I mean, we're talking about that based on the fact that Adam, you know, um, didn't allow himself to be traded, which is his right, right? Right, right. And I don't fault him for that at all. Um, but at the same time, you know, that was given the context and circumstances of that situation at that time. Now, everybody's gone. It's a new slate. He doesn't know who's coming in as general manager, who's coming in as manager, what the how long the team rebuild is going to be. 
does he does he want to stay? <laughs> well, there was a time two months ago, uh, actually in early July, when the Orioles were in Minnesota. He was interviewed by Gary Thorne on a pregame extended five or six minute interview, and he said, "So, Adam, uh, you know, they talked about how hard this season's been for the team, the fans." And he said, so Adam, it's let's say it's uh, July 28th. The club comes to you and wants to trade you. Would you accept the trade? And he mentioned that he's got the 5 and 10 uh, uh, right to turn down the trade. And he says, well, he goes, the ideal situation would be like Araldus Chapman. And then he started winking at the screen and said, you trade me to a contender, the chance to win a World Series, and bring me and back. Bring me back. <laughs> and he said it three times. Now, there's yeah. been a lot of water under the dam since then with how Buck, I th- I'm not Buck, Dan, uh, sort of treated him, uh, especially at that press conference where he just matter-of-factly said the club is going in the direction of younger, of players. younger players and uh, I don't see any reason to bring them back, basically. Uh, that's possibilities changed, but I think Adam also now knows it's a total, total rebuild and he's got to make that decision, but I think... You have to make that decision, and also, as you're saying, the people coming in have to you know, yeah. talk with him about that as well, because you're right, if no one's busting at the seams ready to replace him, you have to ask yourself, if you're letting him go and you have him here, and if, if he does want to stay, which none of us seem to really know for certain yep. at this point now, then, then the question is you have to ask yourself really honestly, why would we get rid of him i mean you, yeah. you better be putting somebody in his place who's doing as well or better yeah. and have a you know as well and cheaper right or better and if we don't have that then i think that that would be a great thing to do for the team so you know, before, my two cents so before we let you go and i told you we'd get you off in 15 to 17 minutes, yeah no problem uh, i wanted to ask you getting back to the baltimore homecoming how much was sports not on the docket to talk about, but how much internally did the folks that came in, like yourself, be like internally talk about the Orioles' horrible season, the optimism around the Ravens right now? Is sports a, a piece of glue to the folks that are sort of expatriates of Baltimore? I, I think so, without question, and and I also think you know one of the 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 first night of the event uh, was a talk between John Maroon and Cal. Uh, yeah was a conversation, you know, where Cal was interviewed and talked. And I think in, in some of the people from the, the Ravens organization were, were, at, were at a couple of events. Um, and, and I got to talk to their, their chief counsel for a while. And, and I think, you know, you do realize, like, I mean, sports, it, 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 especially in a city where part of a lot of the discussions about Baltimore is the disparity, you know, the disparity in neighborhoods the haves and the haves not mm-hmm. the, the ideas of this, this this that's put out there there's two baltimores and that one's sort of been more neglected and and how, how do we bridge that you know and part of bridging it is is by for us as people as 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 as, as, as just like human citizens uh i don't live here anymore but i feel such a deep connection to it is to stop talking about it that way you know what i mean mm-hmm. that we're all we all have things in common and one of the things we have most in common are these sports teams yep. and for, for better or worse it, it, it is it is a um it, it is a thing that absolutely brings people together from all walks of life from all parts of the city and i know the ravens are keenly aware of that as are the orioles yep. and i think the orioles have done some fantastic things this year you know and i applaud them i mean the idea of of um you know, 
giving off those free seats uh, made to, me to the more kids, proud yeah. of anything the Orioles have done in, than in a long time. You know, and I think John Angelos and you know and and and, and everyone else who, who came up with that should be applauded. It, it, it's an incredible thing that they did, and I hope that there'll be more things like it. And I know the Ravens have things in place that are similar type of ideas, you know, just in terms of like bridging the, 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 the getting the fans together, you know, I mean, I'm speaking for the organization. Yeah. I'm just saying like, you know, that that's my, my feeling that I, whatever that is and the more that we can do it. So yes, I think that's a lot of the topic of conversation. Um, it's not all that there is obviously because there, there's bigger problems and there's bigger things to deal with, but at the same time, it's, it's a very important part. And, and, and some of it's also about, you know, I just, just repeating what I was saying, just the, the sense of sort of bringing people together. There's nothing that, that, that you see that when, when teams are here, and especially when teams are winning, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of collective, cohesive um, bonding that happens amongst the city of people from all different walks of the city and, and, and economic um, areas. And I think that's, that's, that's huge. So I, I don't think that can be ignored, and I think it should just be encouraged. Craig's got one more for I got, you. I got one more for you. This is the 20th anniversary, I believe. Of, oh, yeah. Uh, we forgot to, I forgot yeah. to even mention Sports that. Night. Sports yeah. night. <laughs> right. Now, I, I, as a guy who has spent uh, the better part of the last 30 years in newsrooms, I can tell you, uh, just number one, how much I love that show. Number two, mm-hmm. the, the way you guys all made it seem as realistic as possible as mm-hmm. to what actually goes on in a newsroom on deadline and putting that show together. Uh, the only thing I was ever mad at you for uh, throughout the whole thing was the fact that you never introduced me to Felicity Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, well, she is married, so I, I don't know if that was going to help you very much. I don't know if Bill Macy would, what he would he think looks about a lot, that. He looks a lot like Craig Heist from yeah, well, Shameless. And they, they all yeah. do, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's been amazing. Um, in the last few years, I mean, Dan, you're joking earlier about feeling old, but yeah. I'm starting to feel old too because you know I, I um, you know, we just had I think at the 30th anniversary of Dead Poets Society, and I was talking to some of the castmates from that. And it's just it's just incredible yeah. how time flies, and now now the anniversary of Sports Night um, was such a great time. I mean, I think television has changed so much since when we were made Sports Night. Clearly, you know, and yeah. even then, and, and you can say even now. I mean, there's so much more content out there there's so much more content providers I mean, streaming and cable have really taken over and dominated and and many say it's such a golden age of television that it's sort of surpassed cinema you know i mean i don't know if i agree with that on on every level but i think it's true that there is so much better television out there now than there ever was and i think that show was a little just ahead of its time in terms of being on a network at that time, you know, had it been on a different network at that time, like an NBC, perhaps it could have survived a little longer. Um, but what it did was it allowed you to sort of make a show that has this sort of cult following now that never, you know, it, it never, it was able to jump the shark fully, you know, it, it, and people never got to get sick of it. So it's always um, impressive to me how many people still love that show and know about that show and really recite that show uh, verbatim. But it was great. I mean, made great relationships from it. Still very close with Peter Krause and, and Josh Molina. And um, Felicity I haven't seen in a while, but she came to see my play. I didn't get to see her afterwards because she had to run, but but uh, she's left me a nice uh, note. That's nice. And, uh, you know, just incredible people. Uh, fun show to do. Um, are, I think it's a credit to... 
Are the Go residuals ahead. are the residuals coming in, or is that was that too short a run? Was that too the residuals for that show? Yeah, I, I think there are still residuals for that show. That's sure, awesome. still get things for that show, but it's, I don't know. It's nothing you're going to live off of. Just but, you pass know. pass the residuals for all your work to Craig Heist and I. You know the jump change. <laughs> That's right. You know the the great thing about that show was that I I'm I'm thinking that there's probably not a lot of people who could actually relate to what you guys were doing on that show. And I almost equated to, to like, remember the old police squad with Leslie Nielsen? There was just so much going on in that show that you had to be watching it so closely to get the humor of it all. And then, yeah. of course, those shows spawned the Naked Gun movies mm -hmm. and everything. But there were only six episodes of that show. And, mm -hmm. and you guys obviously lasted a couple of seasons, but... You know, I, I just think in a lot of ways, your show, Josh, it, while it was so good, especially for people who kind of get that part of the industry, you know, it, it maybe didn't resonate with certain people who watched it. Uh, well, clearly. I mean, it only lasted two seasons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, mean, I think that's a very good You know point. what I mean? You it's know what a, I mean, though? It's just... No, no, I know what you mean, but I, I think that, I think, well, I mean, I would just, I would look at it differently. I, I think that show also resonated with people who who weren't necessarily in your industry because of sort of, it wasn't even all fully about sports, you know, it, it, right. it, it also was an introduction for people, you know, in, in the sort of mainstream of Aaron and his work. And, you know, in our second season, he went on to create the West Wing and was doing both that second season. And that suddenly became, you know, not suddenly that became a huge hit and, 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 you know, many feel one of the best TV shows ever. So, I think it really introduced his voice to people, and I think the sort of, you know, the way Tommy Shlomi and, and his DP Peter Smokler, who came from, you know, sort of Larry Sanders' background of shooting the, the way we shot the show, which is a sort of hybrid for a sitcom, a lot of handheld, a lot of walk and talks, and sort of getting that whole... I mean, Tommy really sort of put his stamp on, you know, visualizing Aaron's sort of, uh, you know, brilliant sort of words. Uh, but... You know what? I mean, uh, it was a great run. I mean, for me, it was it was it was a, it was a perfectly fine amount of time. It was a great two years. Made great relationships out of it. I'm really proud of the show. Got to do some good work. Got to meet uh, and, and get to know all my all my Sports Center buddies now. Rich Eisen's a good pal, and, mm -hmm. and so's Overman. Yep. And uh, and 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 this and so you know I, I I look back on it with nothing but fondness, and I and I think. Uh, um, you know, people keep talking and tweeting me saying, hey, you know, why, 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 why isn't that getting rebooted? You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, every, everything else seems to be getting rebooted. I'm not even sure, you know, what everybody's schedules. Everybody's so busy doing other things. You never know how that works. But um, it definitely never really got its sort of finest uh, finished, uh, yeah. got the finish sort of on its own terms. You know, it sort of was sort of taken from us. But it was a, it was a good experience. And, uh I can't believe it's been that long. Keith and I shared the same birthday, January 27th, 1959. And there you go. We, we used to sit together at Yankee Stadium when I was traveling with the Orioles, and we'd, yeah. watch, we'd watch games together. It was great to sit next to him uh, watching a baseball game because he's, you know, obviously he's a baseball encyclopedia, but he had the greatest business card ever. What? He handed me one, and it just said, Keith Oberman, and at the bottom it said since 1959. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's great. That's really good. Like you, Stan. I think yeah. I'm gonna say like my uncle and Keith Oberman are two of the most like baseball obsessed encyclopedia people that I know. It's always fun to talk baseball with you and him. 
Hey, really be- cool. Before I let you go, I remember Will Gardner is the good wife. I remember Knox yes. Over Street was your first major movie, you know, the, the yes. Poet Society. I cannot for a life of me. Was your character Dan something in, in Sports Night? It was Dan Rydell. Yeah. Dan Rydell. Dan Rydell. Okay. Yeah. And what was Peter's character? Casey McCall. Casey McCall. All right. Casey McCall and Dan Rydell. All right. Well, listen, <laughs> listen, Dan Rydell. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for being on with us. Uh, Great bunch talking of, to you guys. And bun- let's 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 yeah. um, let's do it again soon. All hey, right? bunch of people wanted me to congratulate you on the birth of your second child, your, yours and Sophie's second child. Uh, Thank you, Uncle. your daughter Nara. So, uh, congratulations. Yes. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take Talk care. to you soon. See you guys. Thank you. See All right, there we go. Hey, it's time for me to do a commercial for Big, Big Bats. Bats. That's Big right. Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar located at 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. Its name is Big Bats. Big Bats, right that's there. right. On the way down or back <laughs> to or from the Eastern Shore, there's no place better to stop and relax and eat like Big Bats. Big Bats. There you go. Great place to watch the O's Nats. <laughs> well, not now, the O's and the Nats. The Wizards, the Caps, the pro football, college football, and simply get some of the best bar grub around. Sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs. All there for you at 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. Big Bats. Big Bats. There There we go. We'll be right back. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at Loop League. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army Reserve, it is a core value, a value that brings together a variety of people from across the nation to answer the call to serve. Serving part-time in the U.S. Army Reserve means earning the respect of your community and your nation, all while pursuing your career and educational goals and staying close to home. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $20,000 in bonuses when you join. To see if you qualify, visit GoArmy.com slash reserve or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. All this month, get Jerry's Toyota employee pricing on over 700 new Toyotas and a variety of pre-owned cars and trucks. New Toyota RAV4s. You pay what Jerry's employees pay, which means financing as low as 1.9% or lease for $119 a month. New Toyota Highlanders employee priced with $17.50 cash back from Toyota or lease for $249 a month. Plus, every new Toyota comes with Jerry's It's About You loyalty benefits, like extended free maintenance for four years. Visit Jerry's 
Jerry's Toyota, just off the Beltway on Bel Air Road, and online at jerrystoyota.com. Lease with approved credit. Sale ends October 31st. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. All right, we are back on the uh, bat around, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. Let's talk about the cost of sin. I, you know, it's funny. I was I reading your down, mind. I, you I, know. I looked down and I said, I don't have any copy. Uh-huh. But it just dawned on me, we don't need we no don't stinking need any. copy right, exactly. for the cost of sin. 4100 North Point Boulevard. Yo, what, what do you like most of all at the uh, Costas Inn? What don't you like when you go to the Costas Inn? Yeah, crab cakes on Monday night. There's the special. Yeah. Rib night on Tuesday night. Steak? What steak steak night Wednesday? on Wednesday. Lobster. Lobster. Thursday. Right, and that Thursday. runs pretty much most times through the weekend. Right. There's jazz night on Wednesday, Wednesday night. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're there the first Friday of every month, well, Fridays in general, always good rock and roll. But if you're there the first Friday of every month, you get the Rat Pack with Rick Oliger and a guy I went to school with at Kenwood. And uh, you also get it treated every the, the first Saturday or the first Friday of every month, right. you get treated to Nick Triantafilos and yours truly doing Born to Run. By, wow. I didn't know that. You mean like. By Bruce Springsteen. Like you do it as. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nick sings the song. Right. Right. With you Karaoke, know, I mean. No, no, no. The actual live band and Nick sings the song. Really? And I proved that uh, I learned math at Kenwood because it gets to that point in the song where you count one, two, three, four. And that's what I do. It's it's worth the price of admission. All right, Friday or, night. Or as Nick tells everyone, the more you drink, the better we <laughs> sound. First, first Friday of every month. Right. All right. Name one thing on the Costasin menu that that somebody might not know what's special to you. Well, besides the seafood, because right. I mean, you I'm, love I'm, seafood. I'm, I'm I'm a big steam crabs guy and right. crab cake guy, but you can get to me. I love the pasta stuff at the Costas Inn, whether it's lasagna, mm-hmm. whether it's dishes with pasta, chicken, you know, or, or you know, you, you sausage, things of that nature. You can always get that. Just ask for anything on the menu. You All will right. not get bad food at the Costas Inn. I'll tell you, the first thing I think of, believe it or not, is the crab soup. I oh, love well, the yeah. Maryland, the recipe from Mama. Well, na- and, now we're into, and now we're into October. Yeah. Now they've got the oyster stew going again. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, absolutely. All Had right. a bowl last night. All right, you're going to love the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Please tell them that you heard this ad 
and it ran way over 30 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At the Costas Inn, 4,100 North Point. As, as they get their money's worth. <laughs> That's right, they do. We get our money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. There, There's no question. And they get their money's worth when they spend money with us. You know, us. it's kind of like going into Cheers. You know, you walk yeah. into Cheers, everybody yells, Heisty! Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Everybody knows your name. Yeah. It's funny, when you when I see you walk in there, mm-hmm. I see people hitting the, the exits. Well, no, that's when Nick and I sing. All right. <laughs> hey, uh, you had a chance. We've got, by the way, Jim Palmer coming up in about 15, 16 minutes. You had a chance to talk to one of the real icons of the Washington Nationals organization. Well, yeah, Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, obviously, the Nationals finished the season uh, two games over 500, 82 and 80. Didn't get to where uh, they wanted to go, having been to the playoffs uh, and winning the division under Dusty Baker the last two years. Uh, but uh, it didn't work out for Dave Martinez this year. But I talked to Ryan about the disappointments of this year and just his future with the Nationals. Ryan, you used the words, or people were asking you this week, is it more frustrating, is it more disappointing? You used the word frustrating for this year and the way it's turned out for you guys, not getting to where you want to go. Why Why the word frustrating? Oh, I mean, I think anytime you don't make the playoffs or do what you want to do, it's, you know, you got to explain it somehow. And I think we're to the point now where uh, it's it's nice to be expected to make the playoffs every year, but... On the other hand, you're much as you want to, and I hope I'm wrong, but you're not going to win every year. That's why. That's why baseball is so great. That's why sports are so great. You never never know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But uh, you know, I think the group of guys in here worked hard all year. We competed every single game, and um, you know, when you look at it that way, it's you know, it's a little easier to go home at night because you understand and you know that you did everything you could and it just didn't work out it's, it's weird you had a bunch of injuries last year and yet you still managed to to do what you needed to do to get to the division title and get to the postseason you had your certainly your fair share this year yourself included why hasn't that gone the same way you know we did a pretty good job but you know you continually have injuries and, and things like that happen uh it's hard to recover from them and uh you know i think the last few years and our starting pitching has obviously been kind of the the key to to our success i mean we have, you have to score runs you have to play defense things like that but when you have great starting pitching and kind of uh erases those other things a little bit um you know strass being a little banged up this year um that kind of hurt us because a lot of people had to kind of move up and and do things that maybe they weren't supposed to do but um yeah i mean i think uh you know overall uh, I got a great team coming back next year, no matter what happens with some of the question marks. And uh, I think David did a really good job his first year. And uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't do what we wanted to do. But great group of guys who come in every day, ready to work. And um, so it's disappointing. But at the same time, I think uh, really proud of what the guys did here. Even though, you know, obviously it's not what we wanted to happen for yourself. Uh, the second half's been really good to you <laughs> once you got healthy again. You last year we found out obviously what I say all along if if Zim stays healthy all year he's you know you're gonna have Ryan Zimmerman type numbers again if you project that time that you missed out those numbers are gonna be right there so for me for your standpoint I'm sure it was kind of frustrating season being hurt like that yeah I mean anytime you miss you miss time it's uh, it's tough we all we all are competitors that's what we do for 
for our job. So anytime you can't go out there and do that, it's it's tough for you individually, and it's tough when you can't be out there to help the team every night. Um, so you know, last year, obviously, like you said, I stayed healthy and did what I know I can do. And uh, after I've come back and missed some time this year, I feel like ever since I came back from the DL, I've been the player that I know I can be. So it's just a matter of uh, you know staying on the field, whether it means not diving around as much, not doing things like that to to make sure that I can play those 140 games or so. And um, but as far as my body and the way I feel moving forward, you know, I feel like the last couple of years I've done done a, a great job of kind of learning how to take care of myself as I get a little bit older. And, and honestly, I feel like I got got some good years left in me. How many more years do you think you can play? Four, five? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously next year is the last year for sure and then they have the team option and um so yeah i mean i think three or four more years is is easily doable um you know you you learn how to do things and it takes a lot of hard work i think uh but i enjoy the heck out of being out there on the field with these guys and um i think the most important thing is i don't know if i'm ready to to go home yet i think uh you know i love my family and i love it but you know Heather keeps telling me too, you know, if you can keep if you can keep playing and you can keep producing, you know, why not keep going? Because once it's over, it's over. So uh, I really enjoy where I'm at. I think I've learned a lot over the past few years about myself as a player, how to kind of keep my body healthy. Even though uh, you know, going through some of those injuries has taught me a lot. But I feel uh, feel good about where I'm at. What, what does Ryan Zimmerman do to enhance the possibility of staying on the field more? Is there anything in the off season during workouts or anything like that, or you just prepare like normal? No, I think uh, you know that's kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the team. Um, when I've had these injuries, it'd be different if I sat on the couch all all winter long. But I take a lot of pride in in working my butt off to to give myself the best best chance to come out here and perform and, and stay healthy. And I can honestly say that every off season of my career, I've done that. Um, you continually learn new things about your body, learn new stuff from from Maddie and the, and the strength guys, and so it's it's always a you know in motion, a work in motion. But uh, you know, I think I'll continue to do the same things I've done, and just gotta you know as far as diving around the infield and things like that. It's uh, it's hard not to play like that because that's always how I've played. Because it's instinctful. Yeah. So, but uh, when it comes to either kind of doing that and missing time or not doing that as much and being able to play a whole season i think uh you know i'm learning as i get older that it's more important just to stay on the field you've seen bryce play his whole time here obviously he's in his contract here he says he'd like to come back but obviously he doesn't know number one if it's he's in the team's plans and of course there's money issues and things of that nature uh what's he meant to this team since he got here as a rookie uh, well, first of all, I think he's in every team's plans. I don't think any, well, yeah. any team would not have him in their plans. <laughs> uh, but he's been an excellent player for you know six years in the big leagues, and he's going to be 25 or 26 years old and uh, deserves to get compensated like he should. Um, you know, and not every team is able to do that. I mean, that's just the business and the economic side of it. Um, you know whether <clears throat> whether he comes back here or whether he goes somewhere else. That's you know 
don't want to say it's his choice because it's you know two two sides have to make the choice. But uh, you know, I think obviously they would love love to have him back here. I think all of us would would love to have him back here. Uh, but just you know, to be able to watch him kind of grow up and mature as a as a person and a player, he's uh, come a long way in in five or six years, and um, you know he's been a great teammate and he's been fun to watch. You were here for the All Star Game, you know, watching him do the uh, the home run derby. How much of that do you think got his second half jump started from an average standpoint? Because he was putting up you know run producing numbers. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's the reason why. I mean, I think, you know, he's he's a creature of habit as well. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't see the work that he does every day in the cage. And um, he was doing that in the first half as well. Um, sometimes it just takes a week or, or so of getting some hits and, and getting getting things going to kind of kind of take off. But uh, I don't think the home run derby and the atmosphere and all that, I don't think that hurt at all. I think it kind of... Got him going a little bit, but you know, I think if you talk to anyone before the All Star All Star break, and would have asked anyone if we thought he was going to hit whatever he was hitting, um, it just doesn't usually happen that way. You know, if you've if you've played enough years, and like we talked about, if you get your games in by the end of the year, you're going to be pretty close to what you're normally normally doing. In terms of Juan Soto, great young talent. Uh, comes up in the early part of May after three straight, you know, three different stints in the minor leagues with their various teams. But, I mean, to, to do what he's done, to have the plate presence that he has for a 19-year-old, uh, you, you don't see that often. No, I mean, I think obviously his his mental maturity and his ability to make adjustments is, is way ahead of his years. Um the baseball part I mean I told him and I've told everyone else who's come up here that's young is the game is the same up here it's just a matter of being able to you know get past the the lights and the people on the other side of the on the other side of the field and just act like it's you know like it like it was when you're in the minor leagues and a lot of that goes into the mental side of it and you know the young guys that do succeed earlier because they're mentally tough and a little bit more mature than some of the other young guys but uh you know i think with his work ethic and you know the way he wants to learn and uh learns from his mistakes and he uh you know he's got a chance to be really good goals for the last couple of games of the season obviously finish over 500 but you, you know you're in colorado with a team that's fighting for something uh, obviously you have a chance to play a little spoiler role there yeah it doesn't matter to us i think wouldn't matter if we played them or you know these guys for the last six games we come in every day and try and try and win the game that day and uh we've said that all year and you know some years you win more than you than you lose and some years you don't but uh i mean i don't think at least i don't really get caught up in that too much i uh honestly just try and go out and, and win each game ryan zimmerman thanks for the time all right bud.
So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A One online or through your app. And while I've got your attention, please remember Chick-fil-A catering. It's a real live crowd pleaser. In fact, order twice as much as you think you'll need. Trust me. Go see Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Tell him I sent you. If you need help downloading your app, don't ask Steve, but he'll know someone who can help. Chick-fil-A One. Get food. Earn more free food. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army Reserve, it is a core value, a value that brings together a variety of people from across the nation to answer the call to serve. Serving part-time in the U.S. Army Reserve means earning the respect of your community and your nation, all while pursuing your career and educational goals and staying close to home. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $20,000 in bonuses when you join. To see if you qualify, visit GoArmy.com reserve or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. It's Jerry Chevrolet's 2018 model year-end clearance event with unbelievable savings on many new Chevys. New Chevy Cruises and Malibus priced up to 30% off MSRP. New Chevy Equinox and Silverado trucks priced up to 25% off. Jerry Chevrolet has so much inventory to choose from, you may take home two. Visit Jerry Chevrolet at the corner of Joppa Road and Pairing Parkway and online at jerrychevrolet.com. All prices plus tax tags and freight. Sale ends September 30th. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Eck looks at Raven superstar Terrell Suggs and how he still sizzles now in his 16th season in Baltimore. Plus, Simon Hathamarium introduces you to the newest Flacco on the Baltimore sports scene. That's Towson Tigers quarterback Tom Flacco. And Bo Smolka profiles new Ravens receiver John Brown. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition and the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. We are back. You know, one of the things you heard in that Zimmerman interview was, the, yep. you know, talking about Bryce Harper. Things kind of changed in terms of when you, when you look at whether or not they re-sign him or try to make an effort to re-sign him, is that now that Robles is healthy again and playing right. center field, if, if that doesn't happen, his injury doesn't happen, the Nationals don't find out about Juan Soto. 
You know, you don't find out about him in that short order. In that short order, but I mean, he's an amazing, talent. amazing talent, and he and Acuna Jr. are going to go right down to the wire yeah. for Rookie of the Year. But you also have Adam Eaton, yeah, Michael A. Taylor. There is outfield depth there if they decide not to sign Bryce and let him walk. The other part of that too becomes if that happens. The guy you then need to focus to build around is Anthony Rendon. Now, he's in his walk year this coming season uh, in 19, so it would behoove them if they know Bryce isn't going to be re-signed to start working on a long-term deal with with Anthony Rendon. Uh, Spencer Kaboom. Spencer Kaboom, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Can he be an everyday catcher? Uh, He can be be a backup catcher without question. I don't think he's going to be an everyday catcher. He's a 30-40 game guy. Yeah. Okay. They need a catcher. They need a catcher, but you know what? Here, here's the other part about that. Do not be surprised if they don't re-sign Matt Wieters. Really? Yes, because okay. all you needed to do was talk to Max Scherzer in his post-game press conference after the last game he pitched, right. and there's not a starter on that team that does not love throwing to Matt Wieters. All right. Joining us now is somebody who knows a little something about pitching and catching, and that is the great Hall of Famer. Uh, Jim Palmer. Jim, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Craig Heist is here with us. Hey, Jim, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Quick I'm reading qu- the athletic about the Yankees' analytical okay. uh, ability to be better than anybody else. They're saying that the Yankees' analytical stuff is better than anybody else? Well, that's what the article kind of alludes to that. Okay. They have a guy named Michael Fishman. They have 20 uh, analytical people. That's a, that's it's a an interesting guy. article. You should read it because uh, it talks about and not that the number of analysts. Dodgers have 20, Yankees right. have 20, Astros and Braves have 15 each. Rays have 15. How many Orioles have? I was have? just going to say three. <laughs> Gee, I wonder how we segued that. Yeah. Um, they have five. They have five, okay. And uh, White Sox have two, Mets three, Athletics three, even though they did pretty well this year. I got I got a question about analytics. It seems to me that the Houston Astros, and I'm using two, uh, three actual acquisitions they made over the last 13 months: Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and um, Ryan Presley. It seems they not only have the analytical information and ammunition to d- dictate who would be good to pick up, they seem to have the extra ammunition. To know how to make that person better, Garrett Cole. Well, have, you know, yeah, it's like a young player. You know, you you hopefully when you draft players, you know, you you look at their talent level and their character, and you know, all of the above. And I mean, you you hope you're going to get a good athletic player. Um, you know, if it's a pitcher, you you know, um, okay. If it's Cody Sedlak, do you want a guy that just uh, you know pitch one year as a starter in? You know the Big Ten, or do you you know want a guy that was a three-year starter um, that fits in a tough division or whatever? So you know you make those decisions, mm-hmm. but ultimately whether you sign guys or not, who's going to coach them? I think it's funny when I, I was watching Ryan Presley, and you know Houston came in for the last four uh, games of the year, and I'm talking to their guys. I said, okay, so yeah, well we got Presley, we like the spin rate, love the spin rate on his curveball. Well, he had that same spin rate in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he still threw 95 or 96. But for some reason, you know, whether, you know, Furlander, you, you talk to A.J. Hinch, 
uh, you know, you get a guy that was a tremendous competitor. He was the MVP and Cy Young Award winner in, what, 2012. So you know him. He got over 200 Well, he didn't have 200 wins then, but he had 190 or whatever it is, 188. You knew he was a great competitor, and you, you go, okay, so number one, we want somebody that's pitching a postseason. Ah, oh, Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. We're going to bring him to a better team. Ah, oh, Justin Verlander. Then we're going to maybe tighten up the slider. How are we going to do that? We're, you know, we're going to let Brett Strom actually work on the grip. Uh, you know, and as AJ, then we're going to look at the analytics. You know, does he give up more fastballs in the fourth, fifth, sixth innings on his, you know, uh, base hits and higher average? So maybe we'll throw less fastballs, and maybe we'll throw a few more sliders because the slider is better because mm-hmm. the tilt's better. You know, it's a great windup. I mean, if you're a young pitcher. And you're tall. I mean, that's you know, you get over your front side. If you if you notice, he almost catches the ball on the grass when he, you know when yeah. they throw the ball back. So you know, you look at all those things, and then you know you, you get players. I talked to Jim Crane when we were there in April, who owns the uh, the Astros, and he said, "Well, we use analytics, and then we we call we call out the players, and then we send our guys to look at them because eyes eyes can kind of maybe complete the the formula, so to speak." I mean, one more note on that. We had Steve Sparks on the show last week, and he alluded to the fact Garrett Cole in Pittsburgh struck out eight guys per nine innings. In Houston, it was 12. That's an amazing difference. Oh, yeah, I think it's one of the highest uh, increases in whatever. But, you know, the perfect example is you, you have to have a nice blend of, of, of analytics and scouting. And you know, I think the Orioles got away from that for whatever the reason. I know they're going to make changes in both in analytics and uh, you know, in scouting. And, you know, my suggestion was to look to why a change in the first place. You know, maybe analytics you never had, mm-hmm. um, but why didn't you? You know, why weren't we scouting in you know in the international market? Why didn't we have more pro scouts? We used to have them. Right. Um, so, so basically, if you go back and look how the Yankees got Luke vote, you know, he came up last year, I'm sure, on their athletics when they started looking at exit velocity in the major leagues. He only got 83 at bats in 2017, but he had the 11th highest exit velocity. So he's on your radar screen. You know, I don't know how they do it on their computers, but he comes up as guys. Then you, okay, so you start looking at him. You probably look at him in spring training. It hurts a bleak. He hits 206 in uh, April, and, you know, it maybe goes up to 240 in uh, May because he's had a slow start. The weather probably is bad in Memphis. Or, well, maybe mm-hmm. not so bad in Memphis, but and then you're saying, gee, he's got he's hitting 310. And uh, as you're getting ready to make some moves and look at your ball club, if you're Brian Cashman, you know, you call your scouts. He says, well, he's hitting 350 in July. Bird can't play anymore for whatever the reason is. Can't hit a high fastball. The analytics have showed that. And, uh, you know, Judge just went down with a chip fracture of his right wrist. Um, hey, why don't we, you know, the guy's hitting 350 this month. You know, the extra velocity, the way he, you know, because you have a guy there, you see whether he can discern a ball from a strike, whether he waves at breaking balls, how he control the strike zone, what's his barrel rate, in other words, how hard he hits the ball. You know, pitching's all about trying to, you know, strike people out now, which they seem very happy to do. Throw pop-ups, fly balls, things like that, and then you move on. And that's how Luke Book becomes a Yankee, because mm-hmm. Brian Cashman finds a team, you know, and says, hey, what do you need? You know, calls mm-hmm. up, uh, um, what is it, Mosleyak, and John Mosleyak says, hey, what do you need? Well, we need a left-handed reliever. Well, we have the best bullpen in baseball, so we'll give you Ch- Jason uh, Shreve. Shreve yeah. And we'll yeah. throw in Gallegos, too. So right. all of a sudden you get a deal for a, for a player, because Luke Book had never proved anything else. So that's how trades work, and it's a nice blend between pro scouting because they see him, mm-hmm. the analytics identify him, and then you move on from there. 
Jim, I think one of the most interesting conversations <laughs> to have sometimes is when people try to compare different errors. And, and when you, for example, when you pitched as opposed to now, the game is so much different. There, like you said, there's the analytics now and things of that nature. Could Jim Palmer have pitched in this era? Now, people, if you ask people that question, they're going to say, Jim Palmer could have pitched in any era. But what, 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 what did you think about pitching in this era? Well, I make a lot more money. <laughs> Be paid better. That's true. You know, I probably, you know, and, and the Angelos just aren't shy about spending money. I mean, they, you know, they, they reward their players, um, you know, quite well. I mean, you know, I said Edward Ben Williams, Jerry Hoffberger, you know, he wanted you to work for the least amount of money he could pay you. And, right. um, you know, that's just the way it was. And, I mean, uh, you know, the revenues weren't the same as they are now. And, you know, he, that's, that's the thing. But, I mean, I mean, you know, probably if you go back to maybe 12, 14, 15 years ago, I would have said, well, you know, it might have been a problem because guys weren't striking out as much. They actually, you know, there was some pride in actually putting the ball in play. I mean, you know, if you look at your batting average, you know, the BABIP, which is batting average on balls in play, right. the league average is 300. So that tells me, even Stanton, you know, I mean, I watched last night's game, you know, he comes in and Kimbrell's Kimbrell, he's throwing 98, 99 miles per hour with a hard spot. He doesn't even swing. Couldn't get a swing off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he struck out, what, 212 times? Mm-hmm. So that's, if you start taking, you know, 30% of 212, now maybe he doesn't hit 37 home, you know, or 38 home runs, whatever, he hit 35 doubles or whatever. But at the end of the day, they probably score more runs. They, you know, they probably a little bit more. I mean, you know, on, on a normal year, you know, Chris Davis, if, if he has a, 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 say, a you know, a 2014, 15, 16 year or even, you know, and then of course the last two years have been this year's been was horrible. Um, his batting average in balls and play was around three hundred. So you could put up with the strikeouts as long as he drives the ball, as long as he hits doubles, as long as he hits the ball gap to gap. But that stops. So now all of a sudden, you know, every time you have a rally, you know, you, you know, send up the guy. And I used to look at, at Killebrew and, and Frank Howard, who would lead the American League at home runs, and I'm going, geez, these are guys great hitters. But if I need a double play ball or a strikeout. You know what? The consequence could be bad, but if if I do what I need to do or what I'm capable of doing, I'm probably going to get out of that inning because I yeah. can strike these guys out. And so I think if I pitched in this era, didn't I ask you once? You told me. I mean, there was an article in uh, uh, SB Nation that I was the most overrated Hall of Famer because my batting average in balls and play. I, re- I remember that. Yeah, two forty nine, and and I asked you on the field. I said, so why don't you go look at what happens because you can get all these numbers. What happens with a runner in third and less than two outs when I didn't want to give up a run? And he said, oh, it went up by like, what nineteen twenty percent, something like that. Yeah. So now you have players actually participating in you striking them out. They're all trying to hit home runs. They don't ever try to, you know, mm-hmm. to do anything but, you know, air it out. They go to lighter bats to get more bat speed because when they hit this more lively baseball, it's going to go farther. So, you know, I, I think I could probably figure it out. And let's throw the other thing in there. I wouldn't be throwing 130 to 160 pitches every game. I wouldn't be pitching every fourth day. Um, I probably would be, um, you know, maybe pitching – probably averaging six and two-thirds or seven and a third innings, and everybody would go, God, what a great job, Jim. But, you know, these guys don't play for Earl Weaver. You know, they don't <laughs> play in that era where right. whatever you did, it wasn't really satisfactory as far as I was concerned. We're talking with the great Jim Palmer. 
Jim, um, I got to ask you a, a little bit of a tricky question here. I got a little bit friendly a couple years back through this show. I called him up and couldn't have been nicer. Came on the show several times. Rick Peterson, who Dan Duquette hired to be the organizational pitching coach throughout the organization. And at a certain point after he was let go, he basically told me that, well, Buck and, you know, Dan Dan liked what I, my theories and liked what I had to say. Dan and his people, I mean, Buck and his people basically thought I was like, you know, they looked at me like I had four heads. How can an organization be all pulling in the right direction if you have such a diversity of opinion there at the top? Well, it wasn't. And I think that was always one of the disconnects. Yeah. You know, Buck, I mean, yeah, and Buck's, Buck's, you know, he's been manager of the year three times. Yeah. But Buck's Buck. You know, Buck has his own, uh, you know, ideas, and most of them are pretty good. I mean, you know, I mean, did a nice job. I mean, I mean, really, if you want to think back, what, what the Ricadera situation where he didn't realize how uh, toxic Ricadera was for the oil pitching staff. Yeah. You know, and that, of course, that, that kind of uh, uh, precipitated the, uh, uh, the Arietta and Strope. I mean, I noticed Strope's still pitching for the yeah. World Cup. Yeah, he's still. And Arietta made what one hundred and twenty million dollars yeah. or whatever it was for the and Phillies. We, and we had Scott but, um, Feldman for two months. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. I mean, but see, I mean, again, if you go back, I mean, you can go back and revisit a lot of trades. You know, you know, I mean, Nelson Cruz. They, 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 and, and I think this would be my point, and hopefully the organization understands this, which is try to try to going in a different direction. Okay, you had Nelson Cruz for eight million dollars. He was part of the biogenesis. Now. You know, Nelson told me, he said, listen, I, you know, he got sick, you know, and again, this could just be agent talk. He said, my agent said, hey, try this stuff. He said, you know what, you need to get, regain the weight for the season. So he gets caught. I mean, actually, nobody got tested. Mm-hmm. Just somebody didn't pay somebody $900, and, you know, it all went public and blah, blah, blah. So you get him for $8 million in August. He's leading the American League at home runs. <clears throat> now, I don't know if anybody went to him then and said, hey, you know, Nelson, we'd love to have you. You're, you're, you know, you're Hispanic. You're great in the locker room. You're great on the field. You always have a smile on your face. Um, you know, when we signed uh, Andrew, you know, when we went to get Andrew Miller, could anybody say, "Hey, let's try, let's try to sign him right now"? Right. Because that way, we can use him as the Yankees did when they signed him for four years as a trading trip. Yep. So you don't really know what went on. You don't really know whatever. But I mean, so you know, Buck. I mean, you know, the only two things really is the Ricadera, which seemed to be a major thing because he was teaching all the pitchers. And that was he, he, that only happened because Mark Connor left, and uh, and then you know the Obaldo thing up in the Toronto. I, you know, I asked him the next spring, and he said he'll have to read about it in the book because there was no plausible reason ever to use Obaldo Jimenez in the eleventh inning mm-hmm. of a sudden death game when you had Tommy Hunter. Because everybody says, well, the obvious is Britain. Well, you had Tommy Hunter and Dylan Bundy. Yeah. Hunter had a great September when he came back from Cleveland, and Dylan Bundy was you know ninety four to ninety seven out of the bullpen, and, well, you had a lot of options. The fourth option was was the ball, though, and he somehow gets into the ballgame. So, uh, you know, so you had Buck on one side, and then you had the, the Ket faction on the other, um, and I don't think they ever saw eye to eye. Yeah. Uh, you know, I asked A.J. Hinch when he was in with the Astros, I said, do you, do you get along with Jeff Ludo? He said, yeah. He said, we don't always agree on what we mm-hmm. want to do, but, Hey, I mean, there, there's a, a commonality of, of of the goal, which is to win and to get the best players and try to be competitive every year and so on and so on. So, 
Um, Let me back. Yeah, there are a lot of things that went on that you don't. Maybe sometimes we just don't know all, yeah. all, all really what went on behind the scenes. Let me just backtrack real quick. Did were you a Rick Kranitz fan? Because to me, the worst decision Buck Showalter ever made was not keeping Kranitz for at least one more year to work with him a little longer. I mean, he trusted Mark Connor, but when Connor left, we we ended up with a dare, and I thought Kranitz was making some progress with the young pitchers. Well, he did a, you know, if you look at him, he did a great job with Philly this year. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing. He's a you know, very um, uh, level-headed guy, uh, never overreacts. You know, I mean, the Oilers have had good pitching coaches. You know, I mean, I mean, I was a big Dom Cheedy and uh, Dave Wallace fans. Mm-hmm. You know, you had microwave, you know, Cheedy who, uh, you know, but again, if you look at the extensive um, um, background they had, um, you know, and going back to your original thing, I think that they were kind of the anti-Rick uh, Peterson. I mean, I I always like Rick Peterson. I, I mean, I got to know him when he, you know, had the really good pitching staff with the, the money ball here out in Oakland. I mean, he had three college pitchers that were outstanding. Um, you know, so he did a great job there. And, you know, it was his, you know, he was a mechanical guy, and everybody talks about mechanics because you got to have a good delivery to be able to pitch competitively at the big league level. But his three things, I think, were uh, pound the strike zone, be able to pitch inside, and have something to throw other than a fastball and a fastball strike mm-hmm. count. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, so again, but I think he was totally different than uh, T.D. and Wallace. Doesn't make, you know, I'm not stating that either one of them was bad because mm-hmm. they weren't. So I just think they had a little different way they went about things. I mean, you know, I still remember talking to Rick. Uh, I was waiting to do a card show out in, I don't know where it was, um, in Bowie or something, just on a Saturday morning, and, and Gosman was coming up through the minor leagues. And, you know, I talked to him for about 10 or 15 minutes because I had gotten there early, and, you know, he's telling me about Gosman and how he said, hey, you know, that same pitch you throw away, you can just pound him up and down and in that two-seat fastball, and they'll never hit it. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Gosman got even better. So, you know, he knew what he was doing, but I think it was just a different uh, way of, of uh, going about things. And, uh, you know, he certainly had some success uh, over the years. Jim, let me ask you this. Uh, how do you, now that Buck and Dan are no longer in the picture, how do you see this shaking down as we go forward and then not too far after the World Series when they put this thing together as, as the direction they're going to go in? Can you see a, 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 a you know, a director of baseball operations, uh, and then, you know, he hires the GM, and then... Yeah, do you see a two-tier power structure there where there's a director of baseball ops that answers to I, John... I Lewis? really don't know, but yeah. I do know that, you know, I mean, if you you need to get somebody like Jeff Luno that came over to Houston. I mean, I think everybody's using them, and, of course, Theo Epstein did a nice job. He, um, you know, I don't think they lost the hundred I mean they just were bad for so many years but they didn't lose the uh, you know at the three years where they had a hundred losses um whoever comes in I mean you know you know I think analytics and uh, you know if you look at guys that have history and, and scouting and analytics and you know which Luna that and also international scout I mean the Orioles it's rather obvious they when you look at the quality of the players you know in the percentage of uh, Latin <laughs> players whether they're from the Dominican or Venezuela Panama Colombia I mean you name it um they're you know, they're in the high thirty percent, and yeah. they're very good players, and um, you know they can help you win ball games. And you know, in some cases, if you look at Atlanta, I mean, whether you you know you look at uh, all these, and you know some of the guys that were rare for Philadelphia, they they were guys that signed for a lot less than a lot of American 
um, players. Now that is probably going to change a little bit, but again, there's there's values if you actually scout. I, I sit with Ramon uh, Martinez on the uh, playing the you know the longtime pitcher brother of Pedro sure. Martinez, and he lives in Dominican. He said, "Listen, you, first of all, you have to." You upgrade your facility, which I think the Orioles are going to do. I, uh, they don't even have air conditioning down there, which is have to be very uncomfortable, even if you're a young kid where you don't really care how hot it is. You know, I mean, when I went to the Basin League, the college league, it was, you know, we didn't have air conditioning, but then you're trying to become a major league player. You'll do whatever you want. But the other facilities for the Yankees and Blue Jays, et cetera, Cardinals, they're much updated. So they'll do that. And then you have to establish a presence. I mean, they got to believe that you're actually going to sign players. You know, in the Orioles, you know, they signed a couple players this year, and we'll see how good they are. But in years past, it's been mostly, uh, you know, using the international money to, to try to get uh, established minor leaguers. You know, in some cases, a lot of AAA, 4A guys that you hope will, you know, like Paul Fry, who, you know, seems like be a nice acquisition. I mean, he can add a two-seam fastball and a changeup. Um, and then all of a sudden he becomes an even better pitcher. So, you know, there are some bargains there, but most of the guys we signed um, in those capacities didn't really work out. So you have to do it in the international market. So whoever you end up getting has to feel comfortable, has to be able to implement getting scouts and, and establishing, uh, you know, uh, really a role in, in the presence, in, you know, in, in the Latin market. And, well, you know, I, all I have to do, guys, is read the best guys, and you see how many Latin scouts the White Sacks yeah. have or, you know, a lot of the, the teams we play. And they're immense uh, because yeah. they're trying to find players and, and be able to sign them because it's a good way, um, if you don't violate the rules like Atlanta did, um, to, to get better. <laughs> We're talking with Jim Palmer. Jim, I got two real quickies for you. I, just so I understand, when Bamberger was the major league pitching coach, would Bamberger oversee the minor league? Was there a minor league roving instructor? In other words, were things being taught in one coherent way that players at every level would have a shorthand and, and understanding? Well, let's go back to when George wasn't the, the major league pitching coach. Everything was taught. What George taught in the minor leagues was better than what was being taught in the big leagues. Because, okay. you know, I, I saw George, George in um, in Aberdeen, South Dakota, when I played for Cal Senior in 1964. And then I went to Instructional League, and he changed my whole career. Uh, you know, changed my lineup. I walked. I didn't give up many runs because I threw so hard. Um, you know, I'd gone to spring training when I was 18, pitched 28 scoreless innings. I have no idea how I did that. <laughs> I just threw hard and had a good arm. And, um, you know, I you know, was 11-3. and three. Everybody, you know, Davey Leonard was 16-4. and four. Eddie Watt, 14-1. and one. Tom Fisher, 15-6. and six. And Mike Davis, 11-4. and four. So we had a great team. But I walked 130 and 129 innings, and that wasn't going to play because there's a chance I'll be in the big leagues. So every day, an instructional league. Went down there for seven weeks. Worked on my windup, pitched. Um, you know, Steve Carey was the other guy they were going to either keep or send out. I played against him in, you know, Babe Ruth baseball. So he and I were the number one and two pitchers, and, uh, you know, he was terrific. But I had a better windup. I could run a little better, and I was in the big leagues. But everything was taught the same way. You kind of yeah. had the oil windup. But at the end of the day, it, it came down to, and I, it, every time I see some of our guys come up or, or we sign guys or we trade for guys, I'm going, what, did, what were they looking at when they, they decided, it doesn't matter if you throw 95 or 6, can you throw the ball on the corner? Can you repeat your windup? Can, What's your tilt angle? What's your windup? Can you get on top of, you know, Cody Carroll's for example. Can't get on top of his breaking ball because his windup's not consistent. Mm -hmm. It's not good. He doesn't throw downhill. So you have to have scouts. You have to have people to teach those. 
And I would not be sending our guys from one level to the other until they could throw their fastball and yeah. change up on both sides of the plate. I mean, it's just as simple as that. And wow. I, Bamberger taught me that in 64, next year I was in the big leagues, still not knowing what I was doing, but at least being able to compete at the major league level. But the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> hey, the last thing I have for you is David Hess. Came up, seemed like a real competent sort of guy, First three starts, he looked terrific. And then all of a sudden, he gets really racked for eight or nine starts. Goes back to the minors a little bit. Comes back one more time. Goes back to the minors. All of a sudden, he comes back up. Did you see something change with him? Because the results really seemed a lot more consistent and positive over his last five or six starts. Yeah, well, you know, he, he, he pitched well early, and then he cut, you know, the Red Sox, they hit three home runs up in Boston. They, right. You know, they can hit anybody. But I, I he's a bright kid. Um, most scouts don't like him because he doesn't have a lot of movement. Uh, you know, but I think what he was trying to do when he actually, you know, his average fastball is probably 91, maybe touches mm-hmm. 94 on occasion. But he's 91, 92. He was trying to throw 93 or 4. He was trying to do it with his body. Um, he was down in Texas, and he lasted, I don't know, two and two-thirds or whatever. They made him watch every one of his 83 pitches and ask him what he was thinking. And, again, this is a guy that can actually go out there and think his way through a game. But, again, that's at the minor league level. Now you come to the big leagues, you know, you got hitters trying to think their way through a game. But I think he really understood what he needed to do. Um, he got better. Uh, you know, even you go back to the, the, the uh, 1-1 ball game he threw against the Houston you know, he threw a 3-2 slider to Josh Reddick, and the next day I go, what was that about? He goes, I said, what are you trying to do? I said, who's on deck? Well, Bregman. I said, who's their best hitter? Bregman. You know, so I think what happens is you have to get out there, you have to get your innings, and I think mm-hmm. as he got those innings and he got those starts, again, his, with his aptitude, and again, you know, there have been a lot of guys that aren't overpowering and have been pretty good pitchers yeah. because they command the baseball. And they can throw other pitches, like Rick Peterson said, something else other than a fastball and a fastball count. So, you know, again, I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that's going to be a, you know, number one or two starter. But you need somebody that can, you know, give you five and two-thirds to seven innings. And I think he can get himself there, even though I know there are a lot of scouts think his fastball is too straight and he doesn't have enough velocity. But, they're, you know, uh, I'm not sure that's really the case. I mean, all you have to do is look at Annabelle Sanchez against the Dodgers last night. I mean, mm-hmm. he did end up losing, but he had a great year in the National League. Yeah. Maybe the other thing David has to have to do, get traded to a National, National League team, League. it's a lot easier <laughs> to pick over there. Hey, last thing, I've I got to get a word in about Dylan Bundy. What the heck happened to him this year? Uh, well, other than throwing me under the bus at the MLB when, when he, we did the thing with Caleb Joseph and Billy Ripken agitated, um, other than that, I, you know, I just don't, I think he got in bad habits where he doesn't really, you know, get over his front side. So the, the ball gets elevated. You know, it's great to elevate the ball. Everybody talks about with the launch angles, you want to pitch up in the strike zone, but right. you want to do it once you've established down. So, you know, what, 39, 40 home runs, I think it ends up, um, you know, Camden Yards when you're a fly ball pitcher is not an easy place to pitch. Yeah. Um, just inconsistency. You know, I think he, he's going to work on his wind-up. You know, he, had, he got into some things where, I, again, the, the inability to make quality pitches. And, again, he's not the, not the Dylan Bundy that signed, yeah. you know, arguably maybe the second, along with Dwight Theradoc Gooden, but one of the best two high school pitchers ever because of the shoulder and the Tommy John and whatever. So, 
you know, still a guy that should be able to give you 170, 80 quality innings. But, you know, sometimes you got to get knocked around or yeah. you got to get hurt or whatever to realize, hey, I need to, you know, make some changes or maybe I need to be a little bit more focused or whatever. So, All right. you know, again, I mean, he's not, he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not Gosman with, uh, you know, 93 to 99. Uh, he hasn't done that since, uh, you know, he hurt the Tommy John surgery. So, uh, again, I don't know. You know, everybody asks that question. Jimmy, what happened to him? Jimmy, real quick, uh, yes or no, Mike Messina, is he a Hall of Famer this year? Of course. Oh, I don't know about this year, but he's still, yeah, he pitched in the steroid here. Yeah. He had cartoon characters with an 8-10 to 10 <laughs> inch strike zone, and uh, he pitched in Camden Yards at Yankee Stadium. How uh, Glavin yeah. gets in the first year, and this guy's waiting another five years. He's well, in the Tom National Glavin League. won the magic number. He won three hundred five yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. Of course, right. he played on a lot of great teams. All right, he's at uh, what? What's your handle? Anyone at, at, young. at Jim Twenty Two Palmer, right? I, well, that's my Twitter. I think that's your yeah. Twitter yeah. at Jim Twenty Two Palmer. Thank you for being on with us, Jimmy. Have a great off season. Do you and, do, do you tweet? Yes, I tweet. Okay, you know what, Don D. D Agostino, our producer at Ashton, said, <laughs> "Count to ten before you tweet." Yeah, <laughs> take a deep breath. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, my friend. Thank okay, you very guys. much. Take Jim. care. All hey, right. Happy postseason. All right. Stay well. All right. There you have it, you Jim Palmer. You could do two hours with him. Oh boy. Without, without any said problem. One more question. One more question. We're going to take a final break right now. Let's tell people about the Costas Inn again. Well, the Costas Inn is just the, the place you want to be, 4100 North Point Boulevard, out in Dundalk, and uh, they've got great specials all the time on the menu, starting with Crab Cake Night on Monday, Rib Night on uh, Tuesday, and uh, you go right into Steak, steak, night, steak Wednesday, night Wednesday, Lobster, lobster night, Thursday. night Thursday, uh, Live Entertainment, Jazz Night on Wednesday, Rock and Roll on Friday. Heist loves the pasta. I love the crab soup, and I yeah. love their meatloaf, too. And last night— Don't let na- your na- meatloaf— Right, exactly. And now that they're into October and we're getting into the fall, uh, oyster stew. And it's some of the best around. All right, and every first Friday, you can hear Nick Triantopoulos and Craig Heist sing Born to Run. By Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> And, uh, and Bruce catch, is there. And catch the Rat Pack is, because that is the best three-piece band around you will ever hear in this area. All right. I think you can tell we're fans <clears throat> of the Costasin 4100 North Point Boulevard. Join Team Up for One and help children with challenges by attending the third annual Sports Leadership Awards Bowl and Oyster Roast on October 30th. The night will honor UMBC men's basketball coach Ryan Odom and raise money to help children with disabilities. For information and tickets to the Team Up for One Sports Leadership Awards at Valley Mansion, go to teamupforone.org. That's teamupforthenumberone.org. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Ack looks at Raven superstar Terrell Suggs and how he still sizzles now in his 16th season in Baltimore. Plus, Simon Hathamarium introduces you to the newest Flacco on the Baltimore sports scene. That's Towson Tigers quarterback Tom Flacco. And Bo Smolka profiles new Ravens receiver John Brown. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition and the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps 
at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts what's up it's kz this season you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at weekly click the link pinned at the top of my twitter page that's at fans fantasy and pick any five games against the spread every week it's free to sign up and someone wins a 25 dollars royal farms gift card every single week plus we'll have great season-long prizes as well and check out all the other awesome games at loop league where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time join our picks league now at loopleague.com this is former Chirp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from I the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And we are back with the battle round, uh, the close of the battle round. Craig, by the time we talk next week, we'll be deep into the uh, league championship mm-hmm. series. You look for Houston to be playing who? Uh, I look for Houston to be playing... The Red Sox. All right. And, and, and you know, and, and here's the thing. If the Yankees can get their starting pitching to get to the fifth inning, then their bullpen can pretty much lock down anybody, I think. Right. So from that standpoint, if, if they can score a few runs, they have a chance to beat Boston. But I just don't see it because game five would be played at Fenway. And so. All right. I'm leaning more and more now because I think Milwaukee will play the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the Dodgers are going to be back in a World Series. Well, they against, could very well be. Against either Houston and Boston. I would lean right now to, to Houston. And uh, I think we would have another great, exciting World Series. I think we would, too. But it's really hard for me to pick a National League team of the teams that are left, a National League team over anybody that's in the American League. Okay. Uh, I would be disagreeing. I would think the Dodgers have a heck of a because, shot if they get past the Brewers. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you have the Dodgers pitching, do what they did in the first two games of this Braves series, that's fine. But their bullpen, too, has deep question marks. Deep question marks, and Kenley Jansen is not the same Kenley Jansen. I understand that. All right. We uh, thank you for tuning in. Again, uh, we'll see you next Saturday with the bat around tomorrow morning inside Press Box at 1030 on Channel 2. Ken Zalis, Sarita Hubbard from 10 to 12.
Glenn Clark with Project Game Day at halftime and after the game with Sarita Hubbard brought to you by Glory Days Grills. I'm going to get killed for this, but yeah. I'm picking the Browns tomorrow. All right. I'm picking the Ravens, and I don't care if I get killed or not. Bye.